Hello, and thank you for downloading this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network. Brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. For pro wrestling news and talk, follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN. For news, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, make sure to check out ProcessPotables.com. On this special early weekend edition of Power Bombs and Potables, I sit down with Dan and we talk about the week that was in wrestling and just completely go off the rails, along with some money in the bank predictions. So sit down and get ready for a wild ride. Uh, Booze with the boys on a Friday night on this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables, part of the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates. I'm your host, and I am joined tonight for a special, uh, I guess, early weekend edition of the uh, podcast with the hashtag Pod Daddy himself, Dan Morgan. Happy to be here, man. Happy to be back on the Power Bombs and Potables. Uh, you've been doing a great job with it, and um, I don't know. I guess I'm pretty excited for Money in the Bank, only really because of the gimmick match itself. I don't know if there's a whole lot else that has me excited, but I don't know. Maybe the more we talk about it, the more it'll interest me. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, concept for sure compared to the other years. I feel that the nostalgia of that match itself, you know, kind of has died down over the last couple years. But uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Uh, the, the the lead up, the go home shows to the Money in the Bank and uh, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view itself. Uh, so we're going to dive into that in a minute. But let's first get into this week's Quick Sips. All right, this week for Quick Sips, uh, we have gone to our friends at Eight and Sand Brewery, local to us, for this Nelson Saison. It's a farmhouse ale brewed with Nelson uh, Sauvid hops. Sauvin? I'm trying to figure out that. Is that an N? Because it's, it's in Simpsons font. Yeah, it's an N. Yeah, so uh, Sauvin hops. So uh, if you can't see this can, it is literally the, the body, the torso of Nelson from The Simpsons, and everything in it is in... Nelson Muntz. Nelson Muntz. Vest. Yes. The irony of somebody making fun of everybody while they wear a vest. Yeah, but this this baby just came out today. They just dropped this four-pack, uh, 7.0 ABV, and uh, get them while you can if you're in the Jersey area, because uh, these things don't last, but it's a great-looking can, and I'm excited to try this beer. Uh, but for quick sips this week, let's get into some of this week's news. Uh, WWE Chief Brand Officer Stephanie McMahon sold thousands uh, of shares of Class A common stock on Wednesday, May the 6th. Uh, a new SEC filing by WWE shows that Stephanie sold 23,255 shares of WWE stock earlier this month at $44.29 per share for a total of around $1,029,000. Uh, $1,029,000. 
$29,964. That's just so many numbers for right now in this situation with me not Especially being around. broke. I fucking know, right? Uh, the filing uh, notes that Stephanie still has uh, 144,952 shares of Class A common stock left. Uh, it is interesting that, you know, this happened on the 6th and two days earlier, Tuesday. I actually know that would be Monday, would be the 4th. Uh, Triple H sold $1,018,569 worth of WWE stock. So, wonder where all their stocks are going. Probably into their new uh, collector show that I heard about where Triple H and Stephanie will lead collectors and wrestlers around to try and obtain rare and collectible memorabilia regarding wrestling. That'll be the, the first time that he'll probably be on screen with Zack Ryder when he tries to obtain one of one WWF figures that Zack Ryder has. Well, the irony being that they just released the two guys that could have just done the goddamn show and been very, very good at it. Whereas Triple H and Stephanie know absolutely nothing about this shit, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, that works. I wouldn't say that that's their, uh, their strong point, uh, per se. Here's something interesting that I'm personally going to love. Uh, this coming Tuesday on FS1, the WWE is going to air WrestleMania 3 starting at 8 o'clock Tuesday night on TV. It's going to be the first time that this has ever been broadcast on TV. Uh, this is what I've been saying for, for years. Uh, is this is what I assumed that the WWE uh, when they had the 24/7 channel before the network I wanted a WWE network where I can just turn this thing on and just let it choose what it's gonna play for me and if on Tuesday night they're playing WrestleMania 3 that's that's what they watch I mean sometimes with with the network it's just sensory overload with what do I want to watch sometimes I just rather than pick it for me especially with some of that old stuff I'll, I'll pretty much watch anything and a lot of those old shows are an hour so you can get through a lot of them in one night it's just an interesting thing sure the problem is like all streaming services like they don't want that stuff just left on forever and going they want one they want the information of you know what you're selecting to choose as far as ratings and metrics and whatnot and, and revenue generated as a result and two just like bandwidth like we heard reports especially during this quarantine time where so many people are home and using up internet and stuff that you know there were actually like warnings and and i think in certain areas there were actually shortages of you know like coverage and whatnot being available where if you just have everybody you know leave that stuff on all the time then there are, there are impacts to that so from a choosing perspective yeah i agree with you i'd love to just be like hey random and it just keeps going but i mean no platform really has that and there are a lot of reasons why that is and, and those reasons make sense so. I was referring to more of a TV network, but that's a great point, too. I can tell you myself alone, last month being the first full month that I was home, I used uh, just a little bit under a terabyte of data just on my home internet alone. I looked at that, and I was uh, amazed. I didn't even look. I'm pretty sure on average months where I'm not stuck inside, I'm around 400. I'm usually around 400 to 500, but last, last month I was around 970. So to give you an idea there, but uh, WrestleMania three, of course, was from 1987, uh, headlined by Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant for the WWF, WWE, whatever you want to refer to it, title, uh, and then the classic, <laughs> yeah, and the classic Randy Savage Intercontinental title defense against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat uh, from the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit. Uh, and an interesting story. So this week, uh, as you know, AEW returned to live television. On Thursday, Tony Schiavone went into more uh, detail about the COVID-19 testing protocols done uh, before the Dynamite uh, tapings this week. Uh, so the testings were done on every uh, stage head, road crew, venue staff, and talent to ensure the safe 
uh, safety of the environment all around. Uh, Tony Khan also announced prior to the show that everyone in the building had tested negative. Uh, so on the post show, Shivani explained the following in regards to how the testing was handled. Uh, and he said in quote, just to let you guys know, many of us came in yesterday and we had to be tested for COVID. Once we got tested for COVID, we got the yellow stripe, uh, the wristband, uh, that we were clean. Then today have our temperature taken and you have to have the blue wristband, uh, to say that you can get into the building as well. So uh, they were really, really careful about it. Uh, He also confirmed that next week's episode of Dynamite, like they had uh, said before, will not be live. They taped it this week, and they're going to be on a staggered schedule. Uh, uh, I think some of the weeks, but for the most part, actually, I think after double or... I think this next week's going to be taped, and then it's going to be live for two weeks up to double or nothing. After double or nothing, I think they're going to go to a staggered schedule because they're not going to have any pay-per-views until Labor Day weekend. So... Uh, they'll have time to get a schedule like WWE does. Well, for uh, going back to what we were just talking about here, yeah, do you want me to announce this? Wow. So we were just talking about our, our normal bandwidth. You know, Dan usually uses around 300 gigabytes a month, except for the last two months where he is both used in March respectively uh, 1,450 gigabytes of bandwidth and April a little far ahead he, he wins with that one with 1,504 gigabytes of data so uh, content baby. content baby keep on streaming and uh, finally on sips this week uh, it was announced that Chris Jericho is starting a new musical project a 80s kiss cover band called quarantine. And they've already actually recorded a full CD covering these 80s Kiss songs, including No, No, No off of Crazy Nights from 1988. I, as an 80s Kiss fan, am just extremely excited for this. You didn't tell me that we were going to talk about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was kind of why I wanted to do it off the cuff ski. This sucks. Yeah, oh this man, sucks I'm, so bad. I am so fucking. Chris Jericho good. sucks at music, dude. His band sucks. He can't sing. Stop it. Just listen to Kiss. Kiss is fine. I don't need Jericho to do it. St- stick to the ring stuff, dude. And book a cruise every year. That's great. Your music sucks. It's so bad. <laughs> the fuck out of here. And that's it. Stop naming your moves after your shitty music too. We don't care. That's it for this week's quick sips. Fuck you. Can't believe you did that to me. So let's dive into Monday Night Raw. Now, I know that you uh, didn't get a chance to watch these, so I'm just going to run run down them. For what it's worth, and I had said this on last week's episode, is that they really did a good job of already capping off Raw and I guess almost SmackDown. So to me, there really wasn't much for them to... Uh, to have done so this week's episode kind of had nothing to it it was just three hours of tv for the sake of they have three hours of tv that they need to fill which you could make the joke and say isn't that every monday night but when you've literally capped your stories done your final contract signings and everything and you got to a point where it's you're in a situation like you are with with drew and seth and i don't want them to touch or do anything like now what do you do because you have another week still I know it's a little late now at this point, but like especially the last two weeks of, of watching 
a good amount of WWE's programming. Again, like I didn't catch this week's Raw, but I'm trying to keep up as, as much as I can on a lot of this. One thing I thought that like I really think they should have leaned into, and I know this is against everything they probably ever would want to do, but I think it would work, is you have three hours on Monday night and you really can't fill it, especially because of all the people that aren't even available. It's not even like everybody's there and it's just the empty arena part. Like you Mm -hmm. have a limited roster too. So like there are legitimate reasons and and it's understandable. Like what if you started off that like eight to nine hour with like, you know, an attitude era, like watered down raw and then went right into the rest of your show. Like, can you imagine how many people would tune in at eight to see, you know, one of those attitude era, Austin, mankind, whatever, and maybe they just leave it on after that. Yeah. I mean that that's one thing that was, I feel suggested by many people in the beginning as a suggestion for them to do. Uh, and those first couple of weeks, if you remember, they were plugging in like, all right, here's a Royal Rumble match. Cause here's an hour of TV. But right. the thing is, is they're giving you content that aired a week, a month ahead of time. And that was the problem. Like that felt cheap and right. annoying. And one, like none of those things were, were really critically acclaimed in the first place. And two, they were so fresh that you didn't need to see it again. The raw rating this week, I don't have it in front of me, but I know that it fell to like either the lowest number of all time or like the second lowest number or something ridiculous, or maybe of this era. Man, I didn't realize and, I was that important. And it's, it's that bad. The fact that, WWE is one of the only people giving you new content on a weekly basis and their numbers are getting worse and worse and worse. You look at something like the NFL draft, the NFL drafts like viewer percentage was up like 41% or something even more higher than that just because it was something that was look at new. the last dance. It's on at nine o'clock Eastern on Sundays and it's doing insane numbers, right? It's two episodes each 9 PM and 10 PM. And they've been absolutely crushing the ratings. Like it's, that's how desperate people are for it. And you're not cashing in right now. It's, it's really sad. The say. sad thing is, is, and I'll say this and we'll get into this with AEW. I kind of feel like we're, we're, t- we're jumping off the rails here, but if you look at a show like AEW's from this Wednesday, that is such a, if you put that whole thing on paper, that is a crash Monday Night Raw from 1999 when they were pulling oh, yeah. 6 million viewers. Mm-hmm. If WWE was doing that now, even with the empty arena, if, if, if the AEW show from this Wednesday night was Monday Night Raw every single week during this pandemic, then those numbers would not be declining on a weekly basis as much as they are. They would probably actually be going up. And they would sustain once we get back to normal. Right. It's it's just It just goes to show with the fact that it's it's unbearable to watch some of the shit on WWE because of how, how bad it is. And they're just neglecting the options that they really have available to them. And AEW is maximizing every single thing that they can. And it's really showing in their product. So we're going to jump into Monday night raw. I want to just get this going here. Uh, raw starts off this week for the second week in a row with a VIP lounge. If you recall last week, it started off with the three raw representatives from the men's money in the bank this week. It's the women. And uh, all three women come out, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, and Asuka. This was an entire waste of time and accomplished nothing. So we started off raw. So we got 15 minutes out of the way. We're just wasting time in the VIP lounge. The VIP lounge or anything like that that they've had before, whether you know it's Jericho's or Miz TV or you know uh, a moment of bliss like Alexa does a really good job with these. Like MVP always did a really good job mm-hmm. with these. And I thought last week with uh, Zelina Vega and all them right. and, and the um, 
men's money in the bank participants that like that was a really good segment mm-hmm. and it leads into like a six-man tag like that's all well and good and that i mean all that combined was what probably the first like 30 40 minutes of the show yeah i think it was like, about 40 45 that's, that's one of the few things that like works and these talk show segments are a good way to pass a lot of time but it doesn't feel draining if you if you do it right and you prepare for it and again two weeks ago a really good example of it working but this week a bunch of people that can't talk on a mic that you're not really all that interested in and it it goes nowhere yeah so now i'm going to be able to cover the next 45 minutes maybe even more of the show we are going to get a gauntlet match to determine the final Money in the Bank ladder match spot for this Sunday. Uh, that's going to replace Apollo Cruz. If you recall, last week he was in a one-on-one match against, uh, uh, what is his name, Andrade, the U.S. champion. After he beat him earlier, he got the pinfall on him in that six-man tag that we were just talking about to start off the show. And he uh, hurt his knee. He injured his knee, so the referee stopped the match. So now we have taken him out of the Money in the Bank match, and we're going to have a gauntlet match. Starting with Bobby Lashley versus Titus O'Neil. That ends very quickly with a spear. Next up, Akira Tozawa. Ten seconds and a spear. Shelton Benjamin. This match goes about a minute. Lashley hits a spear. Next up, we get him. a theme. Yeah. Next up, we get Humberto Carrillo. Now, this was the longest match to this point, uh, merely because it went through a commercial break. Like, Carrillo came out, they started, and then it's like commercial. So you're guaranteed two and a half minutes because they're not going to give you the finish during the uh, during the commercial. It's just that's not how WWE does things anymore. So um, yeah, Lashley gets eliminated here because he beats down Carrillo in the corner and doesn't stop, so the referee disqualifies him. So he consistently uh, you know lays the boots to him, and then Lashley still spears him despite being disqualified. So next up. We get Humberto Carrillo versus Angel Garza. How convenient a placement was that? You know, Humberto Carrillo's only been feuding with Angel Garza for and Zelina Vega's people for like four months now. So what are the odds that they would be the people right after Lashley gets eliminated? Yeah, but see, that's the beauty of this because like a lot of times in a situation like that, you'd be like, okay, like, come on. Like, this is ridiculous. But Zelina Vega is arguably the best manager the WWE has right now. And mm-hmm. this is one of those things where you have to be like, okay, like she worked her magic. She got her guys in the right. back end of this gauntlet. So at least that I can swallow. Now, do they tell you that? Yeah. No, you have to draw the, that the, conclusion. I mean, my opinion is the logic here is she's one of the best things they have right now, especially with Heyman not on. So she's right. probably their best talker they have yep. right now. So they need to get her on. So what better way than be like, oh, well, pff, Fucking gauntlet match because because this ends with Carrillo getting a surprise pin on Garza, which leads to Austin Theory. Exactly. How more convenient of placement. So now you get uh, Humberto Carrillo versus Austin Theory, the other uh, of the, well, two of the three people that Zelina Vega represents. Uh, Carrillo gets superplexed and then pins Austin Theory. Yeah, I said that right. They do the old, let's flip up the, the legs and and pin him. After I just got the move done to me. I, I hate that spot. I always fucking thought it was hey, man, garbage. Momentum, momentum, momentum. It wasn't the roll through. It was the, uh, oh, we both uh, land on our back. Let's put our legs up and like pin each other. It's uh, fucking garbage. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm completely okay with the, the rolling uh, okay. one. Uh, and then after this, we get the surprise return of the phenomenal AJ Styles. Yes, the AJ Styles that, well... <laughs> 
under 35 days prior was buried alive. The boys are boozing on the free agency line and AJ is, uh, is buried. He comes back here and he looks the exact same. Nothing has changed at all about his demeanor. He, you'd think, you'd think maybe the fact that he got buried, he'd maybe, he'd be darker. He would change his, his outfits. He would maybe not fucking put the undertaker's name in his mouth. No, he's still saying the undertaker and calling the undertaker out, which is fucking stupid. Unless they're going to do it again. Yeah. Jesus (laughs) fucking Christ. They're going to do more cinematic matches. The line of this. And I kid you not. AJ Styles goes, yeah, I got buried. So what? Embrace it. Then, then this motherfucker says he's going to throw somebody off the roof of the fucking WWE corporate towers. Good. Do it. Fucking God damn it. I'm here for it. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Uh, well, AJ Styles wins the match. Of course he does. You don't bring him back to lose. Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, at, at the, the, the part of him saying, yeah, I got buried, so what? If you're forced to to bring him back because of the situation that you're in, like, and you there is no good storyline way to do it, then at least just embrace it. I give them credit for that. It's like, okay, fine, fuck it. Like, you're just throwing it at the wall, then fine, I'm good. Let's just move on. I'll take that one. I'd love for every single guy who is legitimately buried storyline-wise to start off their next promo when they get it to say, yeah, I was buried, so what? What if everyone that ever got buried by The Undertaker, AJ brought them back with him? See, that would have been cool. Um, Like, we are the the buried. Like, just the one time, just to be like, I don't know, like... I'm trying to think for what it's worth. I'm pretty sure that this is the first buried alive match that the undertaker ever won. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he got buried in every fucking one of them. Maybe Kane Uh, had to get buried at some point. uh, Maybe I know. I know that he did the SummerSlam 03 match with Shane and Kane turns on him. And that's when he goes away to become the dead man again. But that was taker getting buried. And then I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think him and Kane actually have one at some point. I don't remember when because, well, that's easy to – I, I realized this week – it finally took till now to realize that the reason why it's so much easier to remember things like from the 90s and, and before is – Because they were good. Not only because it was good, but because it's like, all right, here's WrestleMania. Your next pay-per-view is in the most point King of the Ring or SummerSlam. So there was less storylines and you built them for months. So the fact that there was less storylines like, oh, yeah, I fucking – I remember that, you know – Diesel was wrestling fucking Mabel for three months until you got to SummerSlam, as opposed to now where it's like, all right, well, Seth Rollins is in the title picture again. He, you know, was just in it three months ago, but we have nobody. So now he's back again. And it's just, it's just a, two weeks. He'll be out of it's it. It's a revolving door and there's just no, nothing different. And that's where I guess it really, it's just, again, sensory overload. That makes sense. Um, there's a, a Seth Rollins in ring promo. It does nothing to advance anything. If you ask me, um, Shane Thorne and Brendan Fink defeat. Who? Yeah. Shane Thorne has been on NXT for a long time in a different tag team. I forget what the the one was. uh, TM 68 or something like that, like a couple years back. And it was based off of like a Pokemon potion was the name. No, it's a a technical move. Yeah. And and then... 
Technical machine. And then they changed their name again. And I don't and now I don't know who Brendan Fink is, but the point is is that Two Fly Crew was who they beat. Do you know who Two Fly Crew is, Dan? Uh because I have it in front of me, yes, but no, not before I read it right now. Yeah. Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Right. So what I could think of a Scotty Too Hottie. And Grandmaster Sexton. Yeah. So they put these two together a couple weeks ago. And I have been very vocal about this on the podcast about how, especially when they went one-on-one against the Viking Raiders and how the Viking Raiders had to sell for these 270-pound fucks. I, I, I just, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. And they, oh, they don't have anything for him. So literally, Ricochet comes off of the Crown Jewel pay-per-view uh, in the world title match. And then, like, he's gone. He also had a nice spot at the Rumble with Lesnar. He's one of the few guys that at least got some offense in. Right. Fair enough. But you do this match. He gets completely destroyed by Brock at the Crown Jewel. And then he's off TV, if I recall, till after WrestleMania. You bring him back after WrestleMania, you instantly put him with Cedric Alexander. Now they're a tag team. And they um, are on Raw literally every week. And... Then they finally give him a name. Naturally, the week that you give him a name is the week that you beat him by another pair of two guys that you just put the fuck together. WWE Tag Team Logic. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really like Ricochet, so this whole thing sucks to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, Cedric Alexander is a great singles wrestler, but the problem sure. is, is WWE has done such a horrible job with classifying, well, these guys can't actually be up here with the Brock stuff like that. And I get that because I knew Cedric Alexander from back in his ROH days. And the problem with R- ROH, you might have two, maybe three guys that are like over 6'2 or 6'3 on that roster. They're all generally smaller. So you can have that where, where they're all believable. But when you start putting them in the ring with McIntyres and stuff like that that are up, up there, then yeah, I guess they really look like boys compared to the men. So they try and separate it. Well, again, and this is one of the times where, uh, you know, a Dash and Dawson team is is what you need for this kind of thing because right. they're willing to do the spots, take the bumps, all that. Like they're professional workers who can get these guys over. You don't have enough guys like that to make a team like that look good, which isn't the team's fault. It's your fault for forcing them into a team. It's not like they were a team and and it's not working out. You force two singles guys together, you have nothing for them. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So next up is a match that I swore last week they announced was for the tag team titles. But plans change, pal. Viking Raiders versus the Street Profits. Uh, If you recall, I talked about last week, the Viking Raiders came out and had a great promo where they basically put everything out there. They Every time they fought the Street Profits in NXT, the Street Profits didn't beat them. They couldn't win the tag titles. The Raiders relinquished the tag titles, and then the Street Profits won them after that. Then the Viking Raiders came up to the main roster, and... This is a little wonky. They said that, oh, well, we got injured, so that's why the Street Profits came in and won the tag titles. No, they lost cleanly to Murphy and and Seth Rollins, and then when it was time to do the change, they dropped the belts to the Profits. But still, I like the story is still in the end of this, is Street Profits have never defeated the Viking Raiders. Simple story there. You have stakes. The tag titles are on the line, but the fact that the Viking Raiders also have never lost to these guys Guys is, is on the line Viking here. Viking Raiders also didn't exist in NXT, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was the War Raiders. Sorry. New name. Who dis? Uh, so this match was really good. And it, 
go out of your way to watch it because they did a good job, but it needed a crowd. So many little things could have been done so much better. And just there's they're doing with what they can with a crowd, but it's just it's it's lacking so much when they have nothing to work off of but their own instinct. So to your point on that, I want to ask you a question, and we can we can hit this quick. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but you mentioned that this match needed a crowd. Yes, I'm of the belief, and I wonder if you agree or not. That like, especially during these times, like we already talked about how WWE specifically doesn't really you know value tag team wrestling or give it that much time for the most part. But especially now with no crowds, like tag team matches even more than singles need a crowd, especially because it's usually like cornering mm. the one guy, wanting him to get the hot tag. The hot tag makes him pop. Like yep. You know, like more than anything else, like that is one of the biggest things to get a crowd going. And mm-hmm. those are the type of things you really can't do right now. So it's really tough to book these matches without it. I, I completely agree uh, because I mean, either way, singles or tags, I mean, you really you feed off the crowd and what they're doing. If they're sitting on their hands, then, you know, maybe you need to speed up a little bit. If if they're really starting to speed up, then you know you know when it's time to fire up. And there's just there's certain timing things that these guys are having to do on their own. So. Not taking any credit away from them, but I'm just saying that, again, this is, the audience is not even a crowd audience. It is a TV audience, and people are just, it's it's hard for people to watch because they're just like, I feel like I'm watching these men play fight with no one. This is really awkward (laughs) and sad. So, next up, Liv Morgan, who... Since coming back to Raw, I talked about this last week, interesting fact, she is 7-2 since coming back. She beat Ruby Riot clean the last two weeks, and I thought that was a big deal because for the whole time Ruby Riot's been up there, unless it was a Sasha or Charlotte or Becky, Ruby Riot beat everybody. It didn't yeah, matter who it was. She a lot of people other than like the title contenders. Right, and since she came back, she got beat by... Uh, Liv Morgan two weeks in a row. Liv Morgan's not having bad matches. No, I will. I will say for what I've seen, I didn't know she was seven and two, mm-hmm. but I know she's been on a lot. And like the new gimmick works a lot better than the old one, right? And I definitely think that like she's still not a great wrestler by any means, but she's at least like I'm not getting sick watching her now. I'm like, okay, she can hang. I I think she's getting better. I will say that right. from from watching her each week, she's getting better. And this is something else that I talked about on prior week's episodes. Liv Morgan wrestles Charlotte Flair. Now, I was saying that, especially in NXT now, it seems like they are like just building the line of people to just throw at Charlotte to have these matches. And what I said was, I was like, this is a great opportunity to throw some of these girls into 15, 20-minute matches with Charlotte and just build them up. Have them learn something, and you can build these highlight reels of, of stuff that they can do. This match went 13 minutes, so not bad for a Raw match with somebody who still is pretty green, if you ask me, and Liv Morgan. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte won with the figure eight. Now, for the fact that there aren't many Liv Morgan matches, let alone ones that are this long, I thought that this was pretty damn good. And uh, like it, it could have been because she was in the ring with Charlotte, but I mean, either way, in the end of the day, she still had to hang with Charlotte. And so that's that's something you know, for, for itself, to speak for itself. Um, I, I also was okay with this match because they, they did a really good job with building up Liv Morgan these last couple of weeks to be like, all right, because at this point, if you would have said two months ago, 
why is Liv Morgan going 13 minutes with Charlotte on TV and not getting squashed? Well, they've made her seem like she's, you know, a, a legit contender now. Like, she could be a believable person to, you know, be in these matches. So a good job on them of doing that and good job of Liv for being able to, you know, hold her up her end of the deal. Yeah, I agree. Like, this is, this puts her at least into the pool of, like, okay, like, let's say, like, Dana Brooke is in the woman's money in the bank. Yeah. Dana Brooke ain't fucking winning. Like, Liv Morgan, if she was put into that, let's say this was a month ago. Right. Liv Morgan's put in. No fucking chance she's winning. Right. Now you throw her into one of those five, six girl matches, mm-hmm. I at least could entertain the idea of her being a sleeper pick. Right. So that's progress. Do I think she, like, can win it? No, I still don't believe that. But I'm not I'm not mad that she's in it at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you had given her this... And a run like this, even what you you take a couple losses here and there, like the ones with Charlotte, where she's having these good outings, you give it another couple of months, then you look at the problem. The problem is always when you look at the money in the bank, you're just like, yes, no, I can see. And and the thing is, it's a perfect example is when Carmella won it the other year. You're like, all right, she's not ready for this, but they're gonna at some point find a way to put the belt on her, and they did, and it just. It wasn't that good. I don't know. I I thought like I was surprised that she won it, but then I thought she did a great job with it. She was the good. She was the right character well, to have it. What helped with that was the Ellsworth thing at the time because she used him as her heater. Well, fine, but she like that was that was still her. Like, right. She did a lot of the work there. It's not like like Ellsworth didn't carry that gimmick. She carried it. Ellsworth did it well, but that was still her. It's like it's not like you know Zelina Vega making all these other guys relevant because they can't talk for themselves. And I thought her title run like it wasn't anything to remember, but again, better than I thought it would be. Like held it longer than I thought she would. Like those are the things right. I'm okay with. Like everyone's not gonna be Charlotte Flair, but you need you know people to be different. You need people to exist for short windows, and she did that job. And then even since then, she's still hung around and, and been a pretty good you know character. Right. Uh- Main event of Raw and Murphy versus Drew McIntyre. This match was really short, really short. I mean, it should be. And McIntyre dominated the match and won with a Claymore, and that's that's it. So, like I said, nothing really advanced any storylines at all going into Money in the Bank. It was just a show for the sake of a show because WWE has contracts that they have to fill three hours of live TV on a Monday night. So, it is what it is. In a great interview that I know you and me both listened to, former WWE, former WWE stars Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder opened up about their exit from the company. Uh, in a new interview, which they made it clear they just uh, wanted to have meaningful tag matches. They appeared on the latest episode Wednesday of Talk is Jericho, the team now known as The Revolt. And now going by Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler confirmed they initially asked for their release 15 months ago because they were unhappy with the lack of respect that they had been given uh, to the tag division. The duo said that they had timed their request to happen when they were on the upswing as a team in effort to ensure that it wouldn't look like they were just unhappy about losing. This is why they had asked not long after being told there were no plans to put the tag titles on them. Harwood then says that their release from talent relations, but after leaving the office, news somehow quickly spread, which 
was interesting to them because they had just walked out and everybody magically knew. Uh, this caused the duo to be labeled as uh, complainers by some on social media, even though that's not how they were viewed by their peers. They also said that they were booked more than any other talents on the roster in 2019, which wouldn't happen if there were actually complainers. During their last meeting with Vince, Harwood says that they were given a pitch that no one with any sense of self-worth would be down with. Cash followed up with confirming that the leaked photos of them dressed in the silly attire were in fact real. The gimmick were supposed to mock the fact that uh, you need to be a has a silly shtick. Sorry, it's easy enough for me to say to get on TV in WWE. So they were doing all that they could out of spite. Wheeler says that they reacted by telling Vince McMahon and company that they do the gimmick uh, to the best of their capabilities, but when their contracts were up, that they were not resigning. He also believes that they may have had fun with it if they had done the gimmick. Days after they were taken off the road and removed from all events. As for why they made the decision, here's what Cash Wheeler had to say. People think we have, I guess you would call it an elevated opinion of ourselves, but it has nothing to do with just ourselves. We know what tag team wrestling can do. We know what other teams are capable of, and we just want tag team wrestling as a whole, uh, across the whole board. I don't know what company, but to just uh, to get the time and respect. Because you look back at the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, you look at the Brain Busters, the Heart Foundation, the Fantastics, and the Rock and Roll, the Midnights, Edge and Christian, and all these guys that showed the tag team wrestling can be a draw and that it can make money. It can take people to care and invest, but that's all we want to do. It's not just about money all the time. If I can pay my bills, I'm fine. I don't need to be a millionaire and collect a paycheck just to collect it. I don't want to be complacent all the time. I want to push myself. I want to challenge myself. I know Dax feels the exact same way. I want to work for our money, and we want to earn it, but we want to feel like we're contributing to the, at the same. I'm not just going to sit back and be complacent and collecting a paycheck by phoning it in. I'll never be okay doing that. I don't care what company I work for. I don't care if it's the lowest drawing indie of all time where we don't pay, uh, have any fans in the crowd or if it's WrestleMania. I want more than anything to contribute to the business of professional wrestling on a meaningful scale. That's saying something. Yeah, I've I've been fans of these guys for a long time. And I'll tell you, I was surprised listening to this podcast, to be honest with you. I don't think this did them any favors, the way I interpret some of these things. Because they, like, one, they talk about how they think they could have had more options for promos and character development and all these things like we know they can work in the ring right. i'm not i don't have an issue with that that's why mm-hmm. i liked them but like they weren't very good just talking in this interview conversation they they stumbled over their words they repeated themselves a million times they like repeatedly talked about how modest they are when it really kind of sounded like they were just full of like there's this constant we're not full of ourselves but everyone thinks we're full of ourselves like maybe you are just full of yourself and you should just like lean in to the bit and I don't really have this belief after listening to this interview and after seeing, I, I know they're saying they weren't given that many chances, but there was never much that they did that pulled me in as far as character development or gives me any reason to believe that they could be one of these uh, like on-air personalities that, that don't even necessarily need the matches to get over like a new day or, or you know, to that effect. And the other thing that that struck me like that makes me think that they just like are kind of full of themselves and while they respect the business and know the business as far as performance that they just have this weird way of handling their business was when they like Jericho had to bring it up it seemed like they didn't even want to talk about it, about them using the codebreaker 
And they were like, yeah, like, you know, we didn't ask you because we were down here and, and, you know, you don't like talk to guys at that level. And it's like, you're in the same company. And they said Chris was on hiatus. But then even when he came back, they asked like WWE corporate, hey, is it still okay that we do it? Like, go to Chris. Right. And if it, like, it felt like Chris wanted to bring it up to see if they would like, I don't know, maybe just like admit that they screwed up. And they kind of did. But that's the thing is every time these guys try to take some responsibility for things that didn't go their way, there's always an excuse. There's always somebody else to blame. And I don't know, man, like a lot of the stuff in in this interview didn't sit well with me. And a lot of the times when we listen to these guys, mainly like when they leave WWE and they go on talk as Jericho, like we're really interested in that in the dirt. We're going to get out Vince McMahon and about creative and about all these guys. And I don't know from this one, like this is one of the first ones that I came out thinking, hey, I kind of feel like WWE just, you know, was doing their jobs, like gave them some chances the only thing I would super agree with is their perception that the tag team division as a whole does not get respect, and that's true. I don't think anybody doubts that. I think WWE is self-aware of that, but they want to promote the individuals who are selling T-shirts and merchandise and whatnot, and that makes sense. And when they mention that you know you're better off being two singles performers in a tag team, that you know you'll get over that way rather than being a actual tag team that works together, that's true as well. But you know, these are all things that they seem like they're upset about that they like, that's just the business right now. Yeah. I mean, they were a team that, that another Enzo and Cass where, uh, and even American alpha. So I'm just, as I'm saying this off the cuff, I'm thinking in my head and just rambling off of how, how many teams were so beloved and so over and so successful in NXT but then things just happened when they came up to the main roster. I mean, you look at American Alpha, they were so hot in NXT. They brought them up, and within a month, they disbanded them. And then you look at Enzo and Cass. I mean, they that, had success. They had success. Because they had the charisma and the mouthpiece. Right. And the revival was so good in NXT. And the, prob- the problem is, is and, and this is, I feel, the strongest point about this whole situation, is you look at teams like New Day, and you look at teams like Miz and Morrison and all these, everybody has to be entertainers. The problem is, is if everyone's entertainers, then there's nothing different about anybody. These guys were actual wrestlers. They were a throwback to 80s Southern wrestling, which you don't need to do all the crazy stuff. It's just really uh, psychological you know, and, and meaningful tag team wrestling. And everything you do has... Uh, proper meeting and they were able to do that somewhat but I mean you can't do that on a four minute raw match against Lucha House Party it's just it's just not possible and that's my point is I just don't think that they were built to be Raw or Smackdown or pay-per-view guys like NXT was great for them and even maybe like an AEW or ROH or something would be great for them where it's just a little bit more focused on the in-ring aspect but you know, that, that makes me qu- question the whole time why they, they even thought that was going to be... It, it's not like it changed while they were there. This has been the case for a long time. Yeah. It, so you knew what you were signing up for. Yeah, I mean, every every one comes up from NXT, but it's like the problem is is you're one way in NXT and then you get brought up to the main roster. And then once you go to the main roster, even if you go back to NXT, you're still the exact same person that you have now become since going to the main roster. So that's just how it works is is that way it's like the the, obviously we've always said this the wrestling show is nxt 
the entertainment shows or Raw and SmackDown. Right. But realistically, the money and the fame and that everybody strives for is on those main roster, those Raw and SmackDown and shows. So that's unfortunately what you're uh, you're dealt with. All right, time to move on to Wednesday night. Now, there's a lot of meat on the bone here for Wednesday night. And that's honestly, I feel like the biggest reason why you and me got together. We had some good stuff to we wanted to talk about from Wednesday night's uh, TV. We start off with AEW. AEW returned live to TV this week. The show emanated for Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. We discussed earlier that they did a good job of going through the whole talent and the staff and the production crew of testing for COVID to make sure everybody was good and safe for the wellness of everybody involved. We saw the return of Jim Ross and Excalibur to the announce table. Um, and thankful there's a bunch of wrestlers ringside. So we know there's going to be some kind of noise that just really made the difference in the AEW presentation compared to all the other pro wrestling shows of recent weeks. Would you not agree? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's just wonderful. So we open the show with uh, Cody versus Joey Janela. Now for what it's worth, these two had a fucking pay-per-view match just for the sake of it. If you ask me. At one point, Cody gives Janela a reverse superplex off the top rope, and JR goes, if this doesn't get the job done, nothing will. So naturally, Janela kicks out at two. Naturally. A guy who hasn't fucking been on TV in forever, and every I feel like every match he's been in AEW is lost. Cody ends up winning with the crossroads, but like I said, it, this match was, it had all the near falls and everything that you would for that opening match of a pay-per-view. My favorite thing about AEW in, in the limited time I get to watch it since it started is especially lately and i assume this has to do with with you know several reasons like this isn't just coincidence is that cody almost always opens the show and i love it because we know he's like the chief brand officer or exact or whatever he's he an is. evp yeah sure whatever it is brandy is the okay that's that, chief brandy officer. right okay so like a guy who has this much stake in this I love that he's like he's willing not only to do all the he does all, all all these all these shows he does all the publicity he does he does all the media, but he also comes out and sets the tone for for so many of these shows. He's yeah. like, not only am I a guy in charge of a lot of this, but I'm going to go out there and, and I'm going to put on a, a hell of a show to kick this thing off to set the mood. But it's not like he's. You think back to like you know WCW. One yeah. of the things that started to get people tired was it's it's always the guys with the most say in the main event. They're always yeah. winning the title. They're squashing everybody. Like Cody's not doing any of that. I know not, and not only that, like he has it. Like he's contra- contractually mm-hmm. not allowed to be the main champion. And as you and as you say that, the first thing that I thought of was that is the exact opposite of what his dad did. His dad was always somehow in a main event storyline. And Cody has had his fair share of main event matches, right. but he has had, in my opinion, way more opening matches of shows. He opened, and he requested to open the very first Dynamite as well, which some people might be like, oh, he requested. It's like, who he volunteered to go first. Right. He's setting the tone. Right, exactly. Like, I would venture to bet if we looked it up that he has started more than half of their television. Like, he has been in the first match of half of their television. I think that that's pretty safe to say and like that's crazy and and the matches like you said like some of the like a a lot of these are pay-per-view caliber matches these aren't he just goes out and gets a little warmed up right and that honestly was the theme for this whole night i i i I mentioned this i i took my notes but the end of this i already put that 
this whole show felt like a pay-per-view. Like these guys, the entire roster were like, they're so fresh and they just want to prove themselves. And AEW has given them such a creative uh, platform to everybody have a creative say as opposed to having a giant team doing the stuff for them that they they just want to go out there and be able to do their stuff. So this way, it's just like they had all these shows in the can. They had eight weeks canned. They used five of them, and then they just came back uh, this week. So they were ready to friggin' they were hunting for bear. So they went out and they gave it their all because they were they've been they've been sitting at home for a month and they wanted to go out and just essentially they wanted to go out and have fun. So they went out and had fun on national TV and it was it was good. Yeah, that, that's something you can tell in in the AEW. Uh, like their overall product is that it seems like a lot of these guys are genuinely happy to be there and are doing like, I'm sure everybody's not doing exactly what they want. Cause that's just not how it works all the time mm-hmm. with so many people. But a lot of these guys seem, you know, very content, if not very happy to be doing what they're doing right now. And you don't get that sense from many people in WWE. Right. Exactly. WWE people, they're just used to going with the flow and, um, and Hey, if the money's right, the money's right. I mean, people say the same thing in AEW. That's, <laughs> but uh, so the, great opening match, solid placement from that. We're winding back in. Uh, we get the return of Nyla Rose, who has not been on any of the pre-tape shows, so she has not been on TV since I want to say even maybe the first or second week in March. It's been that long. So she comes out and has a squash match, uh, which is good. It reminds anybody who hasn't remembered that she's a beast. So good good job doing that. Uh, the native beast. The thing that I liked about this, and I noted it here, is that I like that she didn't squash anyone on the main roster. They brought in somebody, and they actually let them do that. Uh, and my complaint about that is because as you heard me say, Akira Tozawa was in that gauntlet match Monday Night on Raw, and he got beaten like 15 seconds. But then you turn around on the exact same channel two nights later every single week, and he's in these competitive matches that he's winning on NXT. And I fucking hate that, that they're treating like nobody watches NXT, essentially, by how they treat the people on Raw that they're bringing in every single week well i know it's a little bit different now being that nxt is is actually on cable and whatnot and is considered that's my point i know but it is still considered the developmental brand and i i agree with your thought process i'm not i'm not arguing it per se but there is still something to be said that i think they're they're just setting a precedent sometimes that hey like if an nxt person is going to show up on the main card like they're the development people, and they're going to get their ass whooped by the people that are here who are the the top of the ladder. And, it, I mean, it makes sense in a way. I know it's not necessarily the same as it used to be, where NXT was clearly developmental, was only online and whatnot, but it, it still exists to a degree. And Tozawa, especially to the average fan, isn't isn't anybody that they're recognizing because he's been hurt so much. He's been out. Like I know the guy can work, but he's never around. Well, he's one of the two people that are two and zero in the cruiserweight title tournament right now. <laughs> oh yeah, the cruiserweight title tournament, boy, that gets my uh, my juices flowing. Hey man, just like this Nelson Saison. Yeah, I'm gonna need another beer ski in a minute. Uh, but up next, we get an MJF pre-tape promo saying that he's gonna be back in the ring next week. I, they've done a great job with him on these pre-tapes. These last couple of weeks are entertaining, from the hangnail to the nicking of his neck, shaving uh, to this. But here's where it gets weird. So that happens. We go to commercial. 
We come back from commercial and we have a pre-tape. Well, not pre-tape. We have we have Tony Schiavone ringside with MJF and Sean Spears. And MJF is told that he's going to face Jungle Boy at double or nothing. But the weird thing is, is the placement of that. Why, why the need to have that pre-tape? Now, I get it. That pre-tape was probably done, and this happens later in the show too. It probably was taped because they had eight weeks of TV. They only used five. Well, they had this thing. They wanted to use it. Move things around because it just really seemed like awkward placement to have this pre-tape promo, making it seem almost like he wasn't there, to now... There he is, ringside. So I just found that, that that was just slightly strange to me. Uh, up next, we get the the AEW champion, John Moxley versus Frankie Kazarian. This match went all over the place. So they used everything that they could. Uh, they went into the crowd. They did the match. Uh, but it was a really, really good match. The energy these guys had to be back after uh, live after a while, especially Kazarian. Because uh, those California guys haven't moved. So this was the first time that they've been able to move in, in quite some time. Uh, Mox, yeah, some of these guys haven't worked. Yeah, since there was the Salt Lake City taping, which was six weeks ago. Uh, Paradigm shift for the win. Dark Order attacks Moxley after this match, and SCU attempts to make the save, but they get fought off. Brody Lee comes out, chair shot, un- you know, unprotected to the head of Chris Daniels. Uh, Brody Lee hits a lariat on Moxley, and then uh, lets his intentions be known. And and I was, you know, normally was going to put a a, a his, his intentions in here put the link, but basically he he challenges Moxley. He says that he wants the AEW world title. Moxley accepts, so then naturally the Dark Order just continues to beat him down seven on one. Yeah, I know we're just talking about the episode specifically, but I got to tell you, man, in, in the bits that I watch from AEW since Moxley's gotten there, he's not doing it for me, man. And Brody Lee definitely is. Like, I'm really, I'm hoping that Brody Lee is, has the rocket. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, to be honest with you. I feel that the, the thing with Moxie is Moxie's too beloved for them to have made him or brought him in as a heel. So he had to be in as a baby face. And the, I, the way that he's, they, they, they built him up so much that the only spot for him to go was against Jericho in that match for the belt. Do I agree that it was time to pull the belt off Jericho when they did? No. I felt that they were actually going to do it at double or nothing, but they did the surprise and he won the belt at Revolution. For what it's and you're talking about Moxie as a whole or since he won the belt in AEW? I think I mean it, there wasn't that much time before that, but I think as a whole. The problem is he's do, he's too much Dean Ambrose. And like I know he was also like that before that like this has always been his thing, but to me, that thing isn't one. It isn't world championship caliber, and like what he like his character is better than his in ring work. He doesn't have a huge range of things he can do. Yeah, he's better in like a brawl, street fight, like hardcore kind of way, and those things just aren't your like main event type of stuff enough for it to be for him to like carry it. I'm not the biggest John Moxley. Like I'm not gonna kiss his ass and say it, but what I will say is that. I feel that under the circumstances that you've been in, I mean, his his feud, they brought him in and he wrestled Omega, but he didn't have his first match, if you remember. He he came in, he attacked him at double or nothing. He doesn't have the match with Omega when he was supposed to because he had the staff come back. So he doesn't end up having that match with Omega until November. So he comes in and has that really, really rough match, which I actually 
forgot to bring up in the sips, but it finally came out that the Maryland Athletic Commission fined AEW this week ten thousand dollars for that match. Which I mean, for what it's worth, ten thousand dollars is it's it's a fucking slap on the wrist. But the Maryland Athletic Commission has always been notorious for like being big about no blood policies. Uh, go back to Flair Luger, Great American Bash '88, and the fucking shit that that caused. Uh, but the the thing is that he naturally went from this Omega feud to focusing on Jericho, and they literally built the Jericho thing from two weeks into November. So he won. He he beat Omega like November 9th, whatever that paper he was. Then I think the next Wednesday he wins the number one contendership, and then it's just a couple weeks after that. And you build up and now Jericho tries to get him to join the inner circle. And then you get the payoff of that on like New Year's Day. Then you get the payoff of that with him winning the belt on February 29th. Then you get two weeks in, two weeks after that, and then everything stops. So in my defense of him is he really hasn't had time. Two things. One, he really hasn't had the time to prove himself as the champion. But two is... There's really no one for him to go against when you look at it and you look at your top main event people because you have Cody and he can't go over the belt and he's a babyface. You have Jericho and you could go against him, but I don't think that they want to go that direction. I think they want to give other people a chance. Um, the, the the thing that would have made sense to me would be Lance Archer would be the one that would be up there, but common sense to me says that Lance Archer is going to run the fuck over Cody and win the, the TV title or the TNT title. So... His his next opponent being Brody Lee, I like that. And for what it's worth, yeah, you could just put the belt on Brody Lee because then it gives Mock something to chase again. It's yep. just because of the situation that you're in, the product has gotten stale. And that's not his fault. That's not really their fault. But I really feel that him not being on TV every week and Brody Lee being on TV every week has made me care way more about Brody Lee than anything else. Agreed. So... um. That's that. We're going to get that on May the 23rd. It's going to be a fun night to watch some some wrestling and, and pod. Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Lance Archer versus QT Marshall. Uh, so I don't know where to begin with this one. All right. So before we get this match, we get an awesome... Marshall? Yeah, that's, that's a whole thing. He, oh, okay. Just want to make sure. Jim Cornette's going on a whole rant about how years ago when he was in uh, Ring of Honor... They used to, they were QT Marshall, and he was, he kept correcting everybody. It's Marshall. Oh. But everybody on AEW calls him QT Marshall. So okay. who the fuck knows what it actually is? Don't care. Yeah. Who, not trying to get in the way of a good story here. Was this, was this the one that had the brandy pre tape before it? Yes. That's about who I was, what I was going to start with. So okay. before we get this match, we had an awesome Brandy Rhodes vignette, uh, shot in the style of how the Jake the Snake one was, uh, probably about three weeks back. And that was, that was one of the ones that opened dynamite before they even came into the arena and it was done very well so that being said right after that we fade to black we come in to the arena into the stadium and brandy's leading qt marshall right out to the ring so you know you and me were talking about this it's just weird that these segments were not separated more and just like i was saying earlier back with the mjf segments either way like as you'd imagine, 
uh, oh, sorry, that, that's that's a different note for the next thing. But my, my point here is that they filmed so many weeks. And this was clearly something that was meant for one of the other episodes. And they just threw a bunch of shit out the window. But I feel like some of these promos that they were going to use to build, because no matter what, Double or Nothing was happening on the 23rd. They were going to find a way to do that. Right. So this was going to get used in one of these weeks, but instead they're like, oh, this is a good promo. Let's just use it here. But it's just the placement of it was so fuck. Have that open the fucking show. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because either way, you have that happen. And then you come up and she basically calls out Jake Roberts and you get the rebuttal instantly. How the fuck did he have time to say it? And she walks right out. Right. That's my point is for logistics. Like it just, it makes no sense to me. Uh, But something else that logistically helps to make sense is right around the time this match starts, Cody Rhodes goes on the Twitter machine and says, calling it a night, hitting the showers early, which leads into these things. So we get this match, uh, QT Marshall versus Lance Archer. Now, as you'd imagine, Lance Archer led most of this match. Britt Baker hits QT Marshall in the head with a shoe, just like she did with Cody last week, which I said would have made so much more sense had they done that before Brandy got taken out of the match. Who throws a shoe? Seriously. Thank you. And at this point, Brandy was actually out there. So Brandy, instead of attacking her, which I kind of thought she would do, she took the shoe and she chucked it into the fucking crowd. Okay, whatever. Um, at this point, Archer wins after smashing the head of QT Marshall into the mat several times like he did to Dustin last week, which is, he's protecting him. But on a reality standpoint of somebody his size doing that shit, you'd be like, this motherfucker's gonna kill a motherfucker. Like, this is bad. And uh, at this point, he... Britt Baker now attacks Brandy from behind and hits a DDT. So my first thought is, oh, fuck, they're going to put Brandy and where they're going to put a Britt Baker with with uh, Jake Roberts. I don't like that. Um, But at this point, after that DDT, she rolls Brandy into the ring and they drag her into the center of the ring. At this point, Jake comes back to the ring and he's got the python. He's got the snake that looks just like Damien. And you get all those nostalgic feels and he gets in the ring And here's where things start to get weird. So he puts this snake on her. (sighs) Then he practically mounts her on national TV. Yeah. And the only reason I say practically is because he was over top of her, but his, his body never touched hers. That's the only reason why it's practical. I mean, you know, silver lining. He used, he used some DDP yoga moves. He, I like that motherfucker. He's got the legs are kind of wobbly, but he, you know, straight, arms out pushes himself right up and was holding himself in the air like the old stone cold head shake listen dude the guy still fucks <sighs> good for him man good, good for, for him. him yeah cheers to that yeah i need i need to cheers this is beer ski what do we what do we got here sorry this we... is a forgotten boardwalk blackberry peach sour well goddamn pal pick Par- that boy up yesterday party on wayne party on garth Ooh, that is fucking tremendous. All right. So back to the, the what I'm saying is, so you kind of have now 
cleared the lines for the people that really want to dig into shit by Cody during this match said, well, there's, they covered it up two ways. One, Cody says, hey, I'm hitting the showers. Jim Ross also says that the wrestlers aren't in the building. They're literally at the stadium and they need to be carted to the arena, which I was like, fuck, that makes a shit ton of sense. Until we get to the main event and I see that the stadium's literally a cunt hair's throw from everything else. So I kind of find that a little bit weird, but... Hey, it worked. It's yeah. pretty cool. So either way, the the biggest thing that I take out of this is, well, one, I feel that the heat is more on Jake than Archer, which has always been the biggest debate of things. But Archer seems to be very supportive and just in general with the whole uh, Jake thing. So we're, um, you know, we're just going to keep letting that roll. But I like the fact that we have preserved Cody and Archer from touching. These two have yet to touch. Now we're two weeks out and we're finally going to get the match. But the other thing that I took out of this is... Is it two weeks? I thought it was next week. The 23rd. Oh. Okay. So... Right. So the thing is this. Is not only did we not get them touching, but if Cody came out, the natural thing would have been for Archer to have had to powder out. And that's just... I don't want to see that. So it's best that they, they kept that away and um, you get that. So, so far, like we're just getting, we're just getting hits with greatest hits here, left and right. Everything's coming at us next week. We're, they're already lining up. They're stacking the, the deck for next week. They announced Christopher Daniels versus Brody Lee next week, which is makes sense. He fucking hit him in the head with a chair. Yep. Um, we get the return of MJF to in ring competition. Jurassic express with Marco stunt. Versus best friends in Orange Cassidy. We're going to get Hikaru Shida versus Britt Baker versus Penelope Ford versus Chris Statlander. Plus, Chris Jericho will be act- in action against Pineapple Pete. Hey, I'm, I'm all for some freshly squeezed. Are we talking about Penelope Ford? I mean, that too. Goddamn, pal. Um, main event. This, this was something. Main event. Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Lay Sex Gods versus Kenny Omega and the debuting Broken Matt Hardy. Yes, this is Matt Hardy's first actual AEW match. The first thing that I noticed, and I'm typing, I type my notes as I'm watching it. I'm like, Matt Hardy is wearing tight pleather pants. What an interesting new look for Matt Hardy. Even as broken or woken Matt, he still wore baggy Hardy Boys S pants, so this was a little different. So then Jericho, I noticed, fights Matt Hardy to the back to well, one of the two entrances. Like, so for where you're going to get to, he's also wearing like a black sleeveless like body shirt. Yeah. I was like, okay, I guess this is the Damascus sure. version of Matt Hardy, whatever. So then about five minutes later, Hardy reemerges dressed in regular Hardy boy gear. He's got the, the the parachute pants and he's got the friggin' He's got like a blue the, the blue body tight tank the, top. The, yeah, no, he's got like the tight yeah. Hardy Boys type shirt. And no one mentions it. <laughs> They're like, oh, then there's Matt Hardy and blah 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 blah. Like What the fuck? <laughs> this was live fucking TV. I didn't notice the pants, I noticed the top. Now that you're the, telling me the pants, it's even funny. The whole fucking thing was changed. That's my point. You got you got too far into this before before I got a chance. Can you one has the sex gods been a thing or is this the debut of that too? No, this has been a thing for a while. Okay, but uh, I think they finally named it recently. 
as lay sex gods. That's but what Sammy, I'm saying. But Sammy and Jericho. No, that's what I mean. Though, oh. The lay sex gods title. Because I just like Chris Jericho has eight nicknames. He has five teams. Like he, there's no way that anybody has any creative control over him, right? Like he just says, "This is what this is," and that's word, right? Like there's no way that anybody else has any say over what he does. And they literally just have to print it. Like, no questions asked. That's got to be in his deal. The problem is, well, here's the thing, is everybody has essentially, create. well, they don't have creative control, but they have creative input. Right, but I'm saying this is well beyond creative input. That He's just like, yeah, me and this new guy, we're the sex gods. It's like, well, why? Because I said so. Okay. But the problem is also Jericho can get anything over. Well, th- yeah, I'm not, I'm not arguing so that. So I guarantee you, if there's not already on there, there's a the sex gods t-shirt with the pose of Sammy down like this and yep. Jericho over top of him. And I'd buy it. It's, I'm not knocking it. It's probably on pro wrestling teams right now. I'm just saying it's fucking insane to me. Like, literally, this came out of nowhere, and I was like, wait, like, I've been watching, and I've never heard this. So, back to my point. So, <laughs> this is a huge disconnect for me. All well, right? So, that was a bit disconnect for me. <laughs> Jim Ross, who's usually the type of person that picks up on those tapes. And like, we'll call it out. Right. I, exactly. I don't get why they wouldn't have discussed any of this stuff prior to having me. Like, hey, man, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do, I'm going to have this outfit, and then and, and I'm going to come at this outfit. And they're like, ah! None of that fucking happens. Well, one, there's a good chance Jr. probably didn't pay attention to what Matt Hardy's wearing. And two, if this wasn't you know by design and it was just Matt being like, you know what, I don't want to wrestle in this shit. Let me change real quick. Then like, if Jr. noticed it, maybe he calls it up, but maybe he doesn't notice it, or maybe he just realizes that you know Jr. needed to take his blue chew this week. Yeah, maybe. Um, so my point is here is clearly this is for Matt to be able to con- to play into the fact that he can control being Matt Hardy and Damascus. But I feel it should have been discussed either way. Oh, I, are you sure this is like a by design thing? Yes. You, oh, okay. I don't know, man. So, oh, because, oh, you have, then the, the last, peel back the curtain. So last couple of weeks, they've done stuff where he does broken Matt promos, but then he goes, oh, well, this is weird. And then he, they literally flip the camera and then he's just regular Matt Hardy. Out of the garb, speaking with the South Carolina accent and all this stuff. They've been yeah. doing double promos. No, no, I, 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 and I've seen a few of them. I get that. I'm just saying, I don't know, man. This seems like a, like you said, this is the first time he's really had to go. This seems like maybe it's just like, you know what? Like, fuck this. I don't like this. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. So, so Matt does a splash off the top of a ladder onto Sammy through a table. Hager pulls the ref out before we hit three. Okay, we're going to keep going with this. Next up, we all four guys fight to the back. So now we are in the backstage area of Daly's Place, which is the amphitheater that is in Jacksonville, right next to the TIAA uh, Bank Stadium, or whatever the fuck it's called, where the, the Jaguars play. It's like attached. It's not even like next to. It's. We found that out. <laughs> I was going to get to that. Matt Hardy gets thrown into a fucking ice chest like Mr. Chow in Hangover Part 2. That's awesome. I love this. See, that would have been a great time to come out in a different attire. He does! Oh. I, uh, I, I was about either. to get to that! Damn it. <laughs> so this fight keeps going on. They use all the plunder they could find. A little Dusty road reference, if you will. Um, oh, that was pretty good. Damascus now emerges from the from the ice machine. I didn't even notice that. This, they talk about. He now has the actual, he just has the giant, the, the, the trench coat, the red trench coat. Oh and they're like, oh, it's Damascus. Damascus is, not, it's like, okay, they acknowledge that. So it's like, why are they not, why, did, oh. I, I didn't even pick up on it. <laughs> God fucking damn it. Leave me my table, you prick. It's, it's for Foley. I'm going to Foley you through this table. Fuck. 
Sorry for using the industry terms, pal. Um, so Damascus emerges from the fucking ice machine. Then he gets in a golf cart. And <laughs> the thing is, is now they, they were having these flashbacks of there was a spot on Raw, I believe. No, yeah, it was on Raw in 2004 where Goldberg was supposed to run down I think it was Brock Lesnar or chase after him with his car and his car floods out on TV and he just keeps trying to start it and start it. So he just gets out of the car and just starts running because they're all, they're live pal. Can't retape it. They were, they basically started joking because they didn't know if Matt Hardy got this thing turned on. They're like, Oh, it's live TV. He gets it going. Then he tries to run Chris Jericho down with it. Fuck. He barely hits Jericho with it. Then he turns around and nearly decapitates Sammy Guevara. Literally, yeah, that, Sammy Guevara gave his life to that Matt was Hardy. scary as shit. I don't think it was talked enough about anywhere about how, like, I was legitimately concerned that that kid's, like, life was fucked up. He easily has soft tissue damage. Definitely has soft tissue damage. My goodness. He's going to need an MRI. And... Uh, so Sammy, I mean, I say Sammy. It's fucking hilarious, though. Yeah, it was entertaining. God, if, if we're looking for sports entertainment, I babe, fucking, you got like, it. like I said earlier, this was a fucking, this was a 1999 episode of Monday Night Raw. Yep. And people watch that shit because it was Crash TV. Mm-hmm. It was Jerry Springer. This is I, a bedpan of the head in a hospital. Room. I want to see what's going to happen next. Next up, Kenny Omega takes a lift. And he does a moonsault off of it onto Jake Hager and 95% of it onto Matt Hardy. <laughs> like, Matt Hardy probably is, is dead right now and we just don't know about it because... That's fine. There's still Damascus. Fuck. Matt Hardy takes the blunt of this. He's got nine lives. Like Jericho that. goes unscathed. Jericho is on the end and Jericho's just like, ah, and like fucking Like I told you, dude, he has full say. No Motherfucker. Full say. So they're fighting out now almost onto the fucking field, which is, like I said, a fucking stone's throw away from Daly's place. Santana and Ortiz emerge from the field. They beat down Omega. Jericho hits the Judas effect for the win. Well, he got he powerbombed him on a golf cart first. How must I forget? But like I said, they had six weeks to plan this return to live TV, and they pretty much put it on a pay-per-view uh, for you know, for for live TV, three weeks before the actual pay per view, they put on a pay per view for free, and I can't say I was I wasn't not entertained by that main event. Oh, absolutely! But it was kind of sensory overload for me with how much they fucking threw at me. Well, yeah, I mean, my biggest complaint is one: the Judas effect sucks, and this one was really <laughs> bad. And like, you could have just you should have pinned him on the top of the golf cart after the power bomb. That would have been sick. And instead, you throw this shitty. Back elbow. Yeah, they want to. They just want to get that move over. No, it's not working, dude. But like I said, he's got full control, so it's staying. Oh, fuck but it, it. but it's bad. One that's bumpy, gotta take, kid. If so, only if only the revival didn't steal the code breaker from him know, without right? permission. Anything else you want to add to uh, to Double or Nothing? I'm sure that you know we're gonna watch Double or Nothing, yeah, and then we'll sure. talk about it. 
In a couple yeah, of weeks. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm much more excited for that even now. And I'd say, I mean, you know, you talked about some of it tonight, but I'm only aware of maybe like two or three matches so far that I expect to see on it. And I know the full card for Money in the Bank this Sunday. I'm way more excited for AEW. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. NXT packed a lot into this show. I felt like, especially when you they started it off. Uh, you're going to get tonight Io Shirai versus Charlotte for the NXT title. That was um, the result of Shirai winning the number one contenders ladder match, which should have been from the TakeOver WrestleMania weekend, which WrestleMania is where Charlotte also won the NXT women's title from Rhea Ripley. We're going to get the NXT title match with Velveteen Dream versus uh, Adam Cole. Now, Dream has essentially gone through everyone in the Undisputed Era to finally get here. It's taken a long time. Also, you're going to get the debut of Karrion Cross. So they they put a lot right out there out of the gate. So cool. That's for getting the name right. Yeah. Another week of Mara Ronaldo and Beth Phoenix were remotely doing commentary. Now, I'm fine with it uh, because you really can't tell uh, from a production standpoint. I like to talk about the production things. Right in the beginning, though, there was only one spot where you could tell they weren't in sync. And Beth was like talking over people, and then like they figured out, and right away you could tell Mara was definitely uh, steering the ship. In the beginning, he was basically saying like something, something, something. Tom, as in like now you speak, you know, that like he was he was leading it that way, but it was so he he got the flow, and it was great the rest of the time. The way everything's EQ'd, you couldn't tell that they're not there. And I, I like that. They should have been able to do that with JR, I feel. with uh, So that that's one thing WWE has up on everybody else. So Production-wise, I, I couldn't tell that that was the case. I'll give you that credit. And Morrow's always great. I don't, I don't think Beth Phoenix is any good at this. I've said it for a while, and she's been doing it more and more. And I don't think she's getting any better, personally. I mean, she... See... She's better than Renee Young was, but Renee Young was also just as good as Beth Phoenix was when they both started. They were both like green people. You're talking strictly commentary. Commentary, yes. Sure, yeah. Renee wasn't great at that either, but Renee's a much better overall personality for their interviews and hosting and whatnot. Yes. Um, Because, I mean, she came from TV before she went there. Right. That's what I mean. Like, Beth's whole, like, she never even had. A character in WWE, like she was a, a very good in-ring performer. She was like tough as shit. She was strong. Like she wasn't charismatic or anything. And like that's the thing, especially when you're not known for that, you can't even get it through as the character. Then people who remember her from that know that that's not her thing. And if you don't know her, then you're just like, okay, who is this? And why are they boring me to death? I mean, the the thing is, is I like Beth Phoenix. But when when you look back at that time period when Beth Phoenix was there. Beth I'm, Phoenix was she was not the muscle her. of that era, but I'm right. just saying like, but she was a good worker. She right. wasn't. She didn't have storylines that were interesting. She wasn't good on the mic or anything. Right. She's a very good worker. I'm not. I'm not trying to disrespect her career. Mm-hmm. She was great, and she carried an entire era for them. Right. And made like the women's like she she was one of the first like after like some of the ones from the Attitude Era that that you did actually respect in the ring. Mm-hmm. Then they go through where it's all just like Playboy models and whatnot. Then you get to a point where like before the the official revolution, right. that there were people that could work. Mickey James could work. Beth Phoenix could work. Trish Lita and Lita. Could, Lita could always work, but there's a period where they didn't let her. Trish, I don't know if she could always work, but once the other girls started working, Trish got mm-hmm. really fucking good. Right. I mean, and Beth came from a period where like your your main she was. In my opinion, the top tier girl, because everybody else was gone by then. Sure. The Bellas were in there. They were a joke. Alicia Fox has never done anything for nope. me. She was a joke. You had um, 
the, the, the chick that was the singer, the really bad singer. I don't remember what her fucking name is. Oh, wasn't that Emma? No, 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 not Emma. Uh, uh, God, I yeah, can't. Yeah, she's remember. not that old. She's not no, but I can't enough. remember what her name is. But she, she just, she was not good. It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, it wasn't Ashley, right? No, Ashley was in like 2006. Yeah. But my point was, is like she was top dog at that point when she was there. So at least her her credibility to all of this is that she's actually a wrestler, so she can be the female voice on the male team. Jillian act- Hall. Jillian Hall is exactly who I was thinking of, um, who sucked. But Beth Phoenix, she gives credibility at least to knowing, all right, well, this move can do this and stuff like that. Sure. But once again, when you have a three-man booth, whether it's with Tom Phillips, who I'm very high on, or Nigel McGuinness, who's been absent, she is definitely the weak person in that. I still don't think she's horrible, but that's just me. Especially, it's also hard to say that when you have a, such a powerhouse like like uh, Mara Ronaldo as your your head there on that booth. So, I want to talk about this. Johnny Gargano versus Dominic Dijakovic is up first. Now, the first thing I noticed was new music for Johnny, which is definitely necessary. Yeah, but I hate it. I feel that this never happens anymore when people have the, the flip from face to heel or heel to face. Um, it, I mean, it, Bailey got it. Bailey did get it. So maybe this is Sasha got a music change too. But I mean, you can never really tell if she's a heel or a face. Her character, yeah, she's always sense. towed that line. Uh, but the the way that they're building her it seems like oh, she's gonna go face, which I don't like. Uh-huh. Um, my first question to you is: Have you ever seen any Dijakovic matches before this that have blown you away? Dude, I think I might have seen one match of his ever. Like, I definitely recognize the name. I don't remember a single match. Don't know if I've seen it. I've probably seen one. The first thing that struck me is, how fucking long has Johnny Gargano been here? In NXT? Fuck. Get him the fuck out of here. See, they're at the point now where they're not taking people from NXT. I know, but he's got to get out of here. Well, that's why they flipped him. It doesn't, it's not working. He flipped two weeks ago. Doesn't matter. Like, I saw him come out, and I was like, I can't believe this guy is still here. This music sucks, and like... Well, you're not supposed to like it. You're not coming from the friggin' no, Coheed music to uh, this. Yeah, there's a difference in not liking it and not buying into it. I'm not buying into this. And really, like, a guy his size and his moveset and everything he does, like, his his shtick has to be the underdog fighting for it, scrappy, like, like it doesn't work for a heel. I agree. So... There's just something about Dijakovic that I've never gotten into. I never trying to spell his last name. I never liked what he did. Well, he when he was in ROH, I didn't like it. Well, anywhere else before WWE, he was Dominic Dijak. Dominic DiCoco. And I knew he had some noteworthy matches in PWG, but you let's, didn't say Dijak, did you? I did not say Dijak. Oh, okay. I said Dijak. Ah. And but let's be real. Uh you know. PWG is a fucking niche, and this is WWE. But still, this guy has not done fucking shit since he's been on NXT, and I just have a huge disconnect. My thing is, is if you look at him, if you did not know this guy and you looked at him, he should be a star. He's tall. He's not a bad-looking dude. He's in shape. He's a good athlete. But there's something that's just not connecting. First thing, he shouldn't be a babyface, in my opinion. Especially in this situation, naturally, he should be the heel. Because he's a fucking foot taller than Johnny Gargano. 
he should be bullying the fucking little guy. Like, and a guy like that, like, if he's going to do everything you just said, which I agree with as well, then, like, why don't you just call him Dominic or something? And like, no one's going to get into a guy named Dominic Die. And I will, there are very, very rare situations where I will ever believe that a smaller guy in this situation, Johnny Gargano, should make a guy like Dominic Dijakovic have to sell. Ever. That's just clear fact. If this was real and this was a real fight, literally, Dijakovic should do the fucking space balls and put his hand out and be able to hold Gargano's head and Gargano shouldn't be able to reach him because that's how big this guy is compared to him. Oh, yeah. See, I would watch that. But you really want to get into the if this is real thing? I I always get into this real (laughs) thing because in the end of the day, like, it's supposed to be like, I, I need you to... This needs to be an escape. I shouldn't be able to stare at the screen and be like, well, that was fucking phony. Like, now I'm taken out of it. Like, I want to watch it and have it just be mindless TV. I'm not saying go out there and fucking hit a dude in the head with a chair. I am. Well, goddamn, pal. <laughs> but, I don't know. The numbers spoke for themselves. Johnny did a lot of heel things in this match between uh, his facials and trying to untie the turnbuckle pad, which he eventually got to do. Uh, at one point, he was even holding on to Candice LeRae. She was trying to pull him out of the ring. So cool, fucking eat, you know, eat shit, heal things. Johnny gave Dijakovic a her and Karana into the exposed turnbuckle they just spoke about, and then hits a DDT for the win. The exposed turnbuckle was nice because I think we talked about before that like that's not done enough anymore. So like that, I did appreciate. Definitely a lost Went art. Went for it the first time, wasn't wasn't allowed to do it, and then gets it later. That that I like. Well, he did it on the on the pull off too. He was holding it and did the old. He had him up for a power bomb. He ripped it off. Right. So Dajakovic had no clue. So it was cool. I like how they did that. Yeah. But speaking of things that don't work in this match, uh, Candice LeRae's hair. I, I I'm not saying that that I'm in love with it, but I'm it's saying right. that if you're going to go with them as the power couple heel. And you're going to turn him, you're going to turn her. I mean, the thing that's weird is this, is they, like, turned her semi, like, within the last six months. I don't remember specifically time frame when. And she dyed her hair this color. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it was blonde again. Right. It was it literally, and, and this is probably a reference that you're not, you'll, you'll get some of, but you all know that Hogan turned heel in 96, did the NWO thing, and he went black and white and, and all that stuff. In 1995, they, did, they, they tested it. He came out for like weeks and all black and was teasing that he was kind of going to go heel just to see how the crowd would react. And they claimed that had nothing to do with whatever, but it had never been done before. And then he went back to red and yellow. It was just to test the, the water. And then you go back to that. I was like, is this the same idea? Were they just testing it to see how it would get over? I, I don't know. Which part? The whole thing? The the Candace part uh, with the hair thing. Because sure. like I said, it just, yeah. <laughs> I had no here. Any comments on the change of Candace LeRae? So you, you took care of that one for me because I, I knew that you'd, you'd have some, some... Yeah, I already told you I was upset. Right. So Jack Gallagher against Akira Tozawa, NXT Cruiserweight title, Group B tournament action. This match goes about five minutes. Tozawa gets the win. He is undefeated on the Group B side of this bracket. But not undefeated against Bobby Lashley. Definitely not undefeated against Bobby Lashley. Uh, or on Raw, for that matter. I'm pretty sure he's lost. He's been on Raw like every fucking week, and he loses every fucking week. Um, and after the match, he cuts a promo to the best of his ability, I noted, because you know 
not too many of these guys have the world's greatest English. Um, he tells El Hijo de Fantasma, who's going to be the next person he's got in the tournament, that he will beat him. Short and to the point, I'm okay with it. Uh, I can't wait until he gets jobbed out in 30 seconds on Raw Monday night. Literally my notes there. Tune in. Yeah, tune in. 8-7 Central. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Zia Lee versus Chelsea Green with Robert Stone. This was a 10-minute match that lasted 90 seconds. So, literally, after three moves, we had a run-in from Aaliyah, and then Chelsea hits the I'm Pretty, which is the unprettier, for the win. After the match, they teased that Aaliyah might be joining with Robert Stone, and I'm mixed on this because, you know, the only client he has is Chelsea Green, but she's only had a handful of matches so far. So, adding someone else to him really doesn't, you know, adding someone to somebody that doesn't have credibility is like enemy. But the potential is Robert Stone is a good talker. I, from prior knowledge, I know that he's a good talker, which is why they're using him in this situation other than wrestling. Because for years, he was always a wrestler. But just put him on the stick. Um, but Ali has been there for like four or five years now, and it's just not clicking. I well, maybe this is like go. a last resort opportunity. The, the thing with NXT, like this normally wouldn't really make a lot of sense for the reasons you said. The good thing about NXT is they're only doing two hours, and they have a pretty deep roster. Where, like, if you want to get women, right? So, if you want to get his mic on TV more, but you're not going to use Chelsea Green every week because really no girl is getting on TV every week there because you got to get people right. time. Then, this, like, he can kind of do it with regardless of the credibility part because this is how you get him on TV every week because he only needs you know even if it's not even a match, even if it's just a segment or a pre-tape, you know, you can you can get by with that. But that's how you build his credibility more than only getting to utilize him really when you have Chelsea Green on there. The thing I don't get is like uh, I don't know if this is a if this is a PR thing because they fired Zack Ryder that she's also getting a push but I don't see it with her at all. I know she's still new right. but like she seems like she's getting pretty good treatment down there for somebody who hasn't been there very long and I don't really see why at this point. Well, I talked about this a couple weeks ago on the pod is that they're just it literally seems like they're just lining everybody for Charlotte and making everybody seem like they could be a credible opponent for Charlotte at this point in time. They cut a, a vignette that literally they released Zack Ryder on like Thursday. The next Wednesday on NXT, there's literally an entire segment shot in Zack Ryder's backyard with her at the pool with Robert Stone. That they sent a camera. You're fired, but we're gonna send a camera crew to your house to film your girlfriend in a bikini. Well, hey, man. At this point, I guess she's the one paying the mortgage, so let them in. I guess. Um, here's one of the two things I feel that people were talking about this week on this show, for sure. Up next, we get the debut of Karrion Cross, the former Killer Cross with Scarlett Bordeaux, now simply going as Scarlett. That works. Gotta own it, pal. It's fine. That that one I can get. That's my same point with Dominic. Just call him Dominic. So where to begin with this? So this was an elaborate entrance, to say the least. Everyone was raving about this online. I didn't watch this till today. This is Friday night. We're we're recording this. I did not watch this till tonight. There were parts that I thought were cool at the entrance, but there was also parts to me that felt that this should have been a one-time only pay-per-view entrance. Not something that you should do every week. I don't obviously don't know how it's going to be. So for those of you who didn't get to see it, the entrance is, it starts with shot in black and white. Scarlet is dead center in the middle of the screen, standing on the stage. Uh, there's a twangy bass riff that uh, drives the beginning of the music. Once the music kicks in, Cross comes out uh, and stands in front of uh, Scarlet. At this point, the camera tightens up 
on her. She comes around and starts lip singing the words of the theme music, which apparently she that that's her vocal track. Oh wow. She did that. And it kept saying fall and pray. Uh interesting take, but I don't see why this should be every week. That's pretty much my only issue. After we get into the ring and the the music starts to really pick up and the black and white now changes to red and red and black is the the color palette we're now working with. So cool effect to change with the music and it it shifts from from that to like shit's about to fucking go down. The ring's full of smoke and somebody's about to get killed. Have I missed anything with this? Well, I don't know if, if you're getting to this or if you missed this, but yeah, somebody's about to die. The ring is filled with smoke, and Scarlet's doing like a like a ska music she, skank around the ring. She literally, yeah, it got to a point where she knew all of her spots up to the point where it goes like that, and then it's just like, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah, is absolute like I could, and I was like, this sucks. Go crazy, this ruined, and don't, don't mind, mind if, if I do. do. Like this, it ruined the whole thing for me. I was like, this is cool. This clearly makes me feel like he's somebody I need to pay attention to. And then I'm like, what the fuck? Like, God, I love looking at her. What are you doing? Yeah, for what it's worth, I I saw that, but I took that out of my notes because I didn't know if you would have caught that to oh, have even yeah. brought it into the situation. But yeah, that was that that threw me because obviously for as much as I should be watching him, I'm I'm, I'm watching her. Right. So when she's going crazy, I I kind of get a little thrown there, and it just. But this isn't the type of. Th- this isn't a good throne. I'd love to be good thrown. Right. So, this was a goddamn production and a half. The other weird, like until you said that it was her vocal track, I really didn't like the idea of seeing her like lip sync it. But if it's her vocal track, then I guess that makes it a little more credible. They're never going to address that, but that was something that was weird to me until you said it. So I was going to let it go, but figured I'd mention it. Yeah, those those she put it out there. Like somebody asked her, and she said that that was actually her track. So we'll see if that's actually true. Uh, I could the, the, the way it seemed. It seemed like she was genuine about it. She usually is. Okay. Like I she said, usually this- hasn't been under WWE. She's usually also not this clothed either. But oh shit, we're live still. Um, uh, this was a goddamn production, and I guess good thing this guy has been wrestling for years because I feel how long it would have taught that you know for them to have figured out this this entrance and then for them to practice it over and over again to get it this perfect with all the camera angles easily could have taken two months. And he probably hasn't been in the ring in fucking two months, if you ask me. He probably has, but just for the sake of this this segment, uh. He gets in the match against Leon Ruff, who, if you were talking to somebody, they're like, wait, didn't he just get released? No, that's Leo Rush. Yeah, I had to figure that out, too. And literally two moves in, this match is over, Cross wins with with the cross jacket, which is basically a rear naked choke. And uh, yeah, we have now seen the, the, the killer crossing. So it's... You get this giant elaborate entrance, which okay, cool. They're gonna that says to me, oh fuck, they're gonna do something with this guy. And you get the squash, it's like, okay, well, this guy's a killer. But I feel like with squash matches, there's there's the perfect amount of squash match, and then there's the too long of squash match, and then there's the right squash match. And I felt like this was way too short of a squash match. I felt that like, especially right out of the gate, 
maybe you should have had him do a little bit more to show what he's capable of besides two moves. Yeah. Usually, usually that's the type of stuff that you do with somebody like when they brought in Ryback or, or Braun Strowman. It's like they don't do much, but they're power guys. So let's have them do two moves be like, oh, shit, throw three guys on their shoulders so everybody's, ah, uh, and you're, you're out of there. Yeah, there's a whole laundry list of things you can do, like have them absorb a couple hits and, and not sell it. And then you're like, holy shit, like, okay, like this guy can't even touch him. You know, like some kind of feat of strength. A lot of guys, even if, you know, their normal repertoire moves isn't going to, you know, involve your standard suplex, especially with a guy of this size, put him up in a suplex and hold him up to, to mm-hmm. display your strength. Military press, like that's mm-hmm. the type of stuff we see these guys do. Like even a Bobby Lashley now, this far when you already know he's a monster. If he's squashing somebody, he's showing off, hey, I'm strong as shit. Hey, I'm fast as hell. Like... You know, I, I can believe that Karrion Cross could do those right. things, but you showed me him doing some weird suplex that, one, I'm, I don't feel comfortable him doing to other guys, really. And and like you said, a rear naked choke. Like, not super impressed at this point, buddy. I, I agree. Uh, sidebar, this uh, coming Sunday night after the Money in the Bank, uh, I'm going to be joined by Joe of the Super Smart Brothers Pro Wrestling Podcast. We're going to discuss a full recap of Money in the Bank. It'll be in your in your uh, your folders, your subscriptions come feed. Monday. Your feed. That's the, the industry term. I'm not good with these things yet. Uh, in your feed come Monday morning. But you should also expect brand new process potables with Dan and Steve coming off of what's it going to be episode seven and eight? Seven and eight. Uh, of this week of the, the, the Jordan. The Last Dance. Last Dance. So, uh, yeah, so just so you know that that's coming up this coming Monday morning to have that ready. NXT continues on. They keep having these Charlotte Flair matches that I have really good intentions for and just hope for the best, and they just don't go that way. Charlotte Flair versus Io Shirai, NXT women's title match. This match goes about 11 minutes. Charlotte gets disqualified. And as Charlotte's wrapping Shirai's leg around the post, we get the return of Rhea Ripley. Now, I was happy that they didn't feel the need to play her fucking music, which just seems like always they need to do. They need to play the music in the video, whatever. She hits the ring, but I feel like it was such a strange spot. Like, usually, yeah, that makes sense to have the big return come when, like, the baby face is vulnerable and you need to make the save, but it's just like... Uh, it was it was a weird angle for everything, how everything was shot and, shot, and the fact that NXT really, how they light the room is very dim, and Rhea was wearing all dark clothes, so it wasn't like she's wearing bright colors, and you see her from the back, it really took, she was about five feet away, and she was coming at that ring a million miles an hour, so it was literally like, oh, fuck, there's Rhea Ripley out of nowhere, so I mean, I think that was kind of their point, but I also felt that it could have been executed better. That's just my take. There's a lot. There's a lot of tough uh, situations in this match that that make this all a confusing spot for this. One, like you said, like it would make sense when the baby face is vulnerable. But one, a lot of times they do. Like you rarely see this when they're outside the ring. Usually you'll see them come in and slide into the ring, so they're out. out you know, you, you're you're looking for it. You can see them from like your peripheral, but you know that from the point of view of, of the in ring that they don't know or something like that. The problem with having her really help when the babyface is vulnerable in this one is you're not going to have her cost Charlotte the belt, so you can't do that, which is why, like, I know Charlotte's down there to be this working champion, so maybe this doesn't make sense as a non-title match, but it'd be so much better in a non-title match that you have Rhea cost Charlotte the match yeah. and, and, and lose to Io Shirai, but... 
again, like all these things don't don't add up to something that makes a whole lot of sense. Yet you need to get a bunch of these things accomplished. It's a, it's a tough spot. And, and back to what I said earlier, like I feel like these girls should be getting so much time with Charlotte. Liv Morgan got more time on Raw, and that wasn't even a title match. You know, and well, and, Raw's three hours. Fuck. Um, Don't know why, but it's three hours. But uh, another match where I just wanted them to give this time, they didn't give it. Pretty bad finish, and we move on. Kushida, Jake Atlas, NXT Cruiserweight title group A. Uh, just like Tozawa going into this, Kushida is the undefeated person on the group A side of this bracket. Kushida wins with the armbar. Who, he's the favorite in this tournament. He's now 2-0. and Next up for him is Drake Maverick. There's been talk. I don't know if you've seen. I'm this- 90% sure that this match wasn't on the Hulu version, so I don't even think I saw this. Oh, shit. So, um, yeah. There's talk, and I want to get your opinion, that this whole Drake Maverick release is a work. Just the Drake Maverick. That would be so fucking shitty. Because he got released. He was the first person that instantly hits social media. He's crying. He's wearing a WWE shirt. Talking about how WWE's still going to let him compete in this tournament. And that these are probably going to be his last three matches. And um, he comes out the first week and loses. Fine. That makes sense. Comes out the second week and wins. So now, if he beats Kushida next week, who's the favorite, they're tied. And I don't understand how they're going to – I think they're, they're, they built this tournament into like two different ways. It's literally going to be – first part is going to be kind of how they do the uh, – I believe it's the Super ju- – not the Super Juniors. The um, It's the New Japan Cup that they do that determines the, um, the, 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 the main eventer for the Tokyo Dome show and the G1 tournament. Sorry, I don't remember it now. So it's the G1 tournament. Basically, that rules. But then they're going to take the results of this, and from what I gather, they're going to then foil this into another tournament. Because this week they started using, for the first time, the interim cruiserweight title tournament. It's how they were wording it this week. I've never heard them use it any of the other weeks, but this week they were using interim cruiserweight title tournament. So basically what everybody's saying is if he wins, then he's up here. There's people that haven't even won matches, like like Tony Nese. So Tony Nese is already out by losing two matches. So the point is, is people are thinking that there's a chance that, J- that, 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 that Jake Maverick's going to win this and the whole thing's going to be worked. They're going to be like, oh, well, now he's the champion, so he's going to be signed. Some people are like, well, just fucking do the Summer of Punk thing and have him take the belt and just fucking go on the indies, but it would be better if the indies were a thing right now. Um, and have him win the belt. But a lot of people are talking that his release only could be a work. What are your thoughts on after now that I've given you that information? It's fucking awful. It's so disrespectful to everybody else, and especially with that bullshit video. Like You don't do the video that got a ton of attention and made people legitimately feel bad right. and was getting that those legitimate responses from people that also had lost their jobs. Like, terrible awareness, terrible in this PC culture 
to to fuck around with something like that in a situation that we're in. Like, even if you were just laying people off, like we weren't in a quarantine, we didn't have a virus, we weren't at like the highest unemployment rate the country's like ever seen, then like fine, it's just your industry. But right. like y- you know, your audience is sitting at home watching your product because they're not able to go to work and collect paychecks, and to fuck around with that, like it's it's disgusting to me. Yeah. So. After this, so too much. No, 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 no. Like you're, you're, you're hitting the nose right on the head. Like I, I have nothing to really add to that. Like I've, I've talked about it in weeks past, but I really haven't ever talked to you about this. Even you off hit your the nose end. on the head. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Finn Balor comes out to address the person that attacked him. I don't even remember this happening. I do a podcast every week, and I watch these shows. The last thing I remember this is is Finn confronting the Velveteen Dream, telling him to keep his name out of his mouth. And then I, I don't remember this. When did this attack happen? I don't know. And then I'm listening to this promo and he he uses terms push, squash, and then the bell has to ring. Like is this guy just throwing out all of his favorite lines from Conrad Thompson podcast because literally all these things are like they're probably t-shirts on the Conrad Thompson podcast. Dude, I, I told you before you watched this that then he was using all those terms and, and, and breaking down the fourth wall a little bit. And this is why it was weird for me because, like I said, I think Hulu probably cut out that match before this. Mm-hmm. So this goes straight from the, the carry-on cross mm-hmm. into this, and it felt like Finn was immediately talking about carry-on cross. He's like, oh, when you get the rocket strapped to you or when you get the push or whatever, you get lasers and smoke and a big entrance, and it's like... Wait, the guy before you literally just fucking had Holy all these things. Holy shit, wow. And I was and and that's what I was telling you. I was like, dude, like if they like again, maybe now that the match was between, this wasn't meant to directly be like that, but right. the way I watched it, it seemed like he literally came out after that guy's debut and was like, Okay, like fuck that guy. He probably did it <laughs> because he got all this stuff. <laughs> and I'm like Fuck yeah, that guy. <laughs> fuck that guy. But if you have those two have a feud, I don't think it's good for either of them because right. you're trying to build Cross and he's new. And Finn's already established. I mean, Finn's a former W was the initial Universal Champion. Like, you can't. No, neither of them get anything from that. You're. You, it, it doesn't work. So now that you're telling me there's like a match in between, I feel better that like maybe right. that wasn't really the point. But when I watched it, I was like, oh shit, he's gonna go kill that guy. So much of what we talked about in AEW, Cameron Grimes comes out has a squash match. And then he basically calls out Balor after this match. Balor comes out to confront them, and and now these two are going to wrestle next week. So for the first time ever, now I'm a fan of Balor. I know that Cameron Grimes, he used to be known as Trevor Lee, was pretty beloved on the indies for years. So once again, they give these guys some time. They might actually have a really good match next week. Will they give them a match? Who the fuck knows? Yeah, probably not. Main event, Velveteen Dream, Adam Cole, NXT title match. NXT does a great job with their pay-per-views of giving the main events time, for the, especially for the title matches. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This match got 11 and a half minutes. This was literally essentially a build-up. When you look back, Velveteen Dream was the North American champion. He lost the belt to Roderick Strong back in... On, it was the first episode of NXT on the network, or no, on USA, so back in October. So he's been feuding with the Undisputed Era since October. 
Then they took him out. He had an injury angle, and then he came back. And then ever since, he's been running through everybody in the Undisputed Era. This match got 11 and a half minutes. Bobby, 10, 10 minutes in, Bobby Fish, Roderick Strong hit the ring, and out of nowhere, Dexter, Dexter Loomis slides out of the ring like a goddamn fucking snake, which goes, I don't know if you've seen Dexter Loomis. Nope, didn't know who he was. Dude's so. fucking creepy as hell, so that really fit his, his profile. No, I got that impression. Uh-huh. With this, we get a ref bump. Dream hits the purple Rainmaker. No ref to make the count. Oh. So Dream gets caught with a super kick and then hit with the last shot. Adam Cole retains the NXT title. I was super disappointed by this show as a whole. Yep. Like, for what it started off with, with that big, you know, grand, like, we're going to get all these matches. I was like, fuck yeah. This this might give AEW a run for the money. But the problem is, is as you've learned, whether it's 1999 or 2020, Crash TV is still way better than this shit. I mean, here here's the problem I have is we we just gave AEW credit because you know a, f- a few of their matches that you would go in expecting to be good are, are getting a good amount of time, and some are even like you know potentially pay per view caliber matches. Right. And we're talking about how WWE for the most part on their shows doesn't really have the talent or anything to fill these times, but NXT does, right. and you wasted a, a an NXT Women's yep. Championship match and an NXT title match in the same show that you also stuffed in, like, two cruiserweight tournament matches, right. two squash matches. Like, f- what the fuck are you doing? Like, have Charlotte headline the one week, have Adam Cole headline the next week, give them each their time. Velveteen and Adam Cole just in NXT. I'm pretty sure I've seen each of them have 30-plus minute matches multiple times mm-hmm. charlotte has done everything and could absolutely go Main with event WrestleMania, yeah. right like this is crazy to me that like that charlotte got disrespected being put in the slot she was and that shit match and shit booking and then these two get 12 minutes this is terrible you t- both of those uh, the both title matches on the show got a combined 23 minutes. That's crazy. The main event show. the main event of AEW that wasn't even a title match went longer than that. Right. And that match was fucking compelling it, as hell. It was great. And to just really round off the show uh because again, we're watching the we're doing this on a Friday night. We did not watch SmackDown and I guarantee you nothing happened on SmackDown. So we're just not going to talk about it this week. Uh and we'll just give you the recap of the pay-per-view on Sunday with Joe. But this week NXT got 663,000 viewers. AEW pulled 732,000 viewers, which is still up from last week where they only pulled 693. AEW, they came out strong that first week and they had almost one and a half million viewers. And then they ducked under a million and they just haven't made it back up there ever since. And I feel bad for them because they're... They're putting out good stuff. Even on those those weeks that they were quarantined, they were doing good stuff to fill the time. That bubbly bunch stuff was just so entertaining and creative that they could do that it was it was funny. Even my girlfriend who fucking hates wrestling, she she watched she was watching AEW when I was last week and she just could not stop laughing at the friggin' Manitoba melee with friggin' Jay and Silent Bob and Lou Ferrigno and Virgil and all these other people that were in it. It was a great segment, and they're consistently trying to put out that that stuff. But it's uh, NXT's got to figure their shit out. I'm looking at the SmackDown notes now. We definitely didn't miss anything. 
The only thing that looks interesting is apparently Jeff Hardy, Swanton's Sheamus, who I didn't know was even back. Who's Sheamus or Jeff Hardy? Well, both, but more so Sheamus. Yeah. Sheamus, Sheamus has been back since January. Exactly. That was exactly. Thank you for saying exactly. That's all I, that's, that was my point. My God, I love you. All right. We're going to quick do a rundown of this Sunday's 2020 money in the bank. Uh, Dan run down the card. I guess we're going to run it down and we're going to give our predictions on what we think is going to happen or maybe should happen. Sorry. I didn't know you were going to retake that. It was never taken. (laughs) It was taken for the, for the tweets. All right, so uh, this is this is just in the order that it came up for me. So I don't know if this, if this has anything to do with the order come Sunday. Uh, the first match we're going to talk about the SmackDown Tag Team Championship: The New Day, who are the champions, versus Miz and John Morrison, versus the Forgotten Sons, versus Lucha House Party. So again, I don't watch a lot of SmackDown, but my understanding is because the last thing I really paid attention to was WrestleMania, which was when. Morrison retained. So since then, the last two weeks, the New Day became champions again. Oh, perfect timing. So what ended up happening was is they did the reverse match of WrestleMania. So WrestleMania had the three-way with Morrison, One no. Uso, and uh, Kofi. Then you had a reverse of Big E, Miz, and the other Uso, and Big E won the tag titles. That happened, folks. Uh-uh. You got to be fucking kidding me. Yep, that happened. So that is why the New Day are eight-time tag team champions. I, I already you know, told you I hated that the first time. For, God, do I hate it more the second time. I said time. this to Jackie the other night. I said that they were they won the titles for the first time. They became the longest-reigning tag team champions. They had the belts for over 530-some days. Since then, they've, they're now on their seventh reign since then. You could probably add up all those days, and it's probably not even half of those days combined. Oh, yeah. Well, I think only one of them is even, you know, like multi-month. Yeah. It's just they're, they're placeholders. And with what they're doing now is they brought the Forgotten Sons up. The Forgotten Sons were in NXT, and I've really kind of shit all over them because they, they don't do anything for me. I'm not saying they can't wrestle, but they, they've never done anything that just wow, wows me. Uh, and they had them win last week over the new day so i wouldn't be surprised if the forgotten sons win the titles at this point based off of what i said of how the new day have more become placeholders every every time they have the belts but i could also see them holding off for a little bit and keeping the belts on new day because they're always a safe bet and building to maybe just a singles tag match where the forgotten sons actually get the opportunity to but i if if i think what they could do is, I'll guess, I'll say the Forgotten Sons are going to win the titles this Sunday. Give it something. Yeah, the thing with the New Day now, I mean, they've they've had their time, they've had their moment, and it in a more in a more serious, incredible degree, they are almost like our truth on the twenty four seven title. They're always going to be a nice cheap pop to just take it right. for a little bit, especially if like the path that you want to eventually get to doesn't make sense going from point A to point B. Right. Then they are point B. Mm-hmm. So that A and C can connect and nobody has any problem with it. And that's fine. So this works, but it definitely feels to me like there's no way that this is meant to be a run for them. It mean feels like it was set up for whatever they want to do at this match. So I don't know who gets it. My guess would be not the New Day and probably not Miz and Morrison, no. which, which, which leaves you with, with the other two. So I definitely think there's a change. 
It's just a matter. It's a coin toss who it is. Yeah, I'm guessing that they're going to go Forgotten Sons because especially at the end of the day, they're the fresh team, so they they kind of have the clean slate to do whatever the fuck they want. And I mean, there's the no narrative. way they're going to back Lucha House Party, but I've oh, been wrong before. Fuck, I forgot you even said they were in it. Yeah, no, yeah. no. So the Forgotten Sons definitely seems like the the pick here. Yeah. Next up, we have the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey, the champion versus Tamina. I almost fell asleep just thinking about saying her name. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Bailey does not win this match. Just like everything else, I, I, I've said before, is the direction they've been going is Sasha helps Bailey win matches. Bailey costs Sasha, Sasha matches, which is eventually where you're going to end up probably seeing Sasha just going babyface. I think it's a horrible idea. Well, here, here, hold on. Let me tell you one thing before you keep going, because I want to see if the, if you think the same thing that I do about this. Mm-hmm. Reading the SmackDown results for tonight, okay. uh, Tamina and I think is it was it Lacey Evans? Lacey, yeah, I knew that was a match. Beat Sasha and Bailey. Okay, going into this, who takes the pin? Tam. Uh, this is live, folks. We didn't watch SmackDown. Tamina pins Banks, it looks like. Banks See? takes the fall. Banks again takes but the here, fall. But here's, my, but here's my point with that, is that if you're going to have that tension build more for them on Sunday and everything, then why do they lose tonight? Because that feels like that's the type of way you build tension is like that loss. So you already did it. Like I would have had them win tonight, go in strong, and then have the tension happen. You kind of did that tonight. You're, what, what can they do on Sunday that does that? This tension has been ongoing for months, though. Years. Really? So, no, there's no doubt in my mind that Bailey wins this match. Right. The Tamina thing, for what it's worth, the Tamina thing was for just a different feud. Because Tamina... Tamina literally fucking shows up and then gets hurt after six weeks. And then she's gone for a year again. That's been like, she's probably made off better than anybody else. She's probably made more money taking less bumps on that main roster in the last 10 years than anybody else. Yeah. I mean, you you know, I'm sure rehabbing is hard and stuff, but yeah, I mean, she's definitely not taking many bumps. She's probably not going to take many bumps Sunday either, and she's still going to lose. No. Well, I mean, that that's the good thing for Tamina is Bailey's a pretty, you know, Bailey doesn't ask you to do much. The problem is, you know, how much can she do to Tamina? Right. And and Bailey can definitely take the bumps for Tamina, assuming that, you know, Tamina doesn't actually injure her or anything with, you know, with the same kind of recklessness we see from like a Nia Jax. Right. Thoughts and prayers. T's and P's, baby. The next one is the Universal Championship. Braun Strowman, your champion, versus Bray Wyatt, the Fiend. Dude, we have talked about this, and there's a no-win sit. Yeah, it's lose-lose here. You, you've built Braun Strowman up. He peaked years ago when he was with Roman as a heel. Well, to everybody else, he was a babyface, right. but he was really the heel. And you didn't put the belt on him then. And they kept teasing. And every time he's had title matches, he just gets beat for it. They put him in a match against Lesnar in Saudi Arabia. He got squashed. And they put the belt on him. And as we spoke about weeks ago, because Roman Reigns wasn't going to do the match at WrestleMania. Then they felt last second they were going to actually be able to get the match in the ring. And Goldberg was just like, no, I already dropped the belt a week ago. I'm not coming back to refilm it. So they just stuck with what they did. So now you got the belt on Showman, which I had said after that. I was like, okay, this is a great time. Give him a month, have him beat a, a heel or two, 
and then just turn him heel. And then you got this monster heel as the champion to then, you know, start going, having the, the baby faces to go against the monster. Roman Reigns. Anybody, literally anybody. Yeah, but it always comes back to Roman Reigns. It's WWE, and it's fucking terrible. So then naturally, they back themselves right in the same fucking corner that they just got themselves out of by putting the Fiend back in there against him. So I, I told you this was going to happen. So you either have the Fiend win, and now you're fucked back into a corner with him as the champion who's going to beat him, or he loses again, and it's, well, he's lost his last two title matches, and he's only had, like, Three of them. And he, you know, got a gimmick match against Cena. Right. And then you have Braun Strowman, who you finally put the belt on. He's had no matches since winning the belt. And you're going to have him lose it? And here's the, the worst part of it is that, like, it seems like they've wanted to put it on for a long time. And for some reason, it's never been the right timing. And it damn sure wasn't that time. Now they forced their hand because of the situation we're in. And now not only did you get the timing wrong, which it seemed you were trying so hard not to do, but you have no plan in place for what to actually do with it, and you're going to fuck that up too. And you're going to fuck other people up right. by fucking that up. Anyway, Braun Strowman's going to win, I guess. It seems hard to believe that they squash him that quick, but it also like makes me sick thinking that The Fiend is... Is, is getting buried at this point. The Fiend's over as a character. And the problem with Braun Strowman is, just like Finn Balor said, then the bell has to ring. And that's where the disconnect has always came, is the character inside of a match. Outside is where it's just like, this guy's on fire. But the problem is, is people love him so much because of what he does outside of the ring that they kind of are okay with forgiving what happens inside of the ring. So... Yeah, this is just really shitty. I agree with you. I think Strowman should win this match, and I'm going to stick with Strowman will win this match. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also the the thing now that we know that at least in in some parts of like it seems like we probably have you know at least another thirty days of pretty heavy you know quarantine preventative things right. going on that like there's a very real chance that. You know, Bray pulls some weird fiend shit. The match either doesn't even end or is a DQ or he disappears. And this goes on another 30 days. So it's very possible we don't actually get a finish here, which is the only thing that might actually make sense. Yeah, I don't. I'll tell you one thing. I don't see this match closing the show. Oh, yeah, there's no way. One thing I've learned, if there's a fucked finish, it doesn't close the show. It just... It'll leave a bad taste in people's mouth. The only other match besides Money in the Bank, which we'll get to, is your WWE Championship. Drew McIntyre, your champion, versus Seth Rollins. Is there any doubt here that Drew win, does not win this match? Like Drew's, Drew's going to retain. Drew's going to have it at least until SummerSlam, maybe right. Survivor Series. Which they announced today that the city of Boston, where it was supposed to take place, has canceled everything through Labor Day. So they're going to have to move SummerSlam. Well, I heard they... Uh, can they still use Bash at the Beach? No. Oh. Cody bought that up. Did he get it? I Like, I think they still have the right to... 
WWE is notorious, and I went into huge copyright shit with them last yeah. week. I think they have the chance to still fight for the patent or whatever. The, the, the copyright. copyright. But they let it expire. Cody picked it up. They put on uh, two weeks of television, and then they heard from WWE's attorneys. Uh, they, 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 Cody will be fine. Okay. Well, then fine. They can't do a bash at the beach, I guess. Same. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Drew McIntyre retains here. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I feel bad for Rollins because I, I kind of dig what they're doing with Rollins now. Like, I liked what they did before with the whole Messiah thing. He loses Kevin Owens at WrestleMania, and he's gotten even darker. And I like the direction they're doing, but it's like right into the title match. But then you, you have to beat him. He, there's no way after all this building of Drew McIntyre being your big babyface champion that you're going to have him lose the belt right away. So I again, feel like, again, bad the, placement. The, and the more we talk about it, the more I just, I wonder how many, like, I don't know. If, like, I don't think this pay-per-view even, one, you have the, the gimmick match that really carries the whole thing anyway. So there's a good chance a lot right. of these don't really finish. Like, you may, you're probably not getting a clean finish here. Drew clean beating Seth is bad. He, he, even though Drew has to retain. You'll get a run-in from Murphy, but he's still going to win this match one, two, three in the ring. Maybe. Because I'm just that, saying, this is, su- this is such a placeholder pay-per-view. If you have two title matches, you can't... You could. You could, but you shouldn't have two fucked finishes. But this is the one to do, do it because you finish, have that money I think in the you should, I think your fucked finish should be Bray and Braun, if anyone. I agree. Over Rollins and, and McIntyre, because... Rollins is at the point now. Rollins can safely be at the point where he can take as many losses as he wants to, and then you could still the next week put him in a title match, and it'd be like, okay, he's a main eventer. He's up there and he's established yeah. enough. Now. You still just don't want to have him keep taking. You don't, titles. but if they they fucked themselves in the corners on both shows, yeah. fascinating. Tune in this Monday. All right, so the other two. So this is happening at the same time, right? That's been yes. Established. This has been established. We talked about this. And there's only one winner, or is there a winner for each? No, there's two briefcases. Okay. So there's, uh, I believe the white one is the women's, and then there's a green one. at the same time? Because there's two briefcases. Because they're trying to tell the story from the first floor to the top floor. And here's probably as dumb as it sounds. There's only so much story you can tell when you're doing this, going all the things. So it's going to be like... Well, at 8 o'clock, I saw them walk through the entrance and then go to the gym and then friggin' smash something. Oh, look, there's the dinosaur statue in Vince's office that they broke. But, you know, now we're here three hours. Like, it's going to be way easier, I feel, if they just do All it right, at the same time. fine. Um, Especially if they're shooting at cinematic style. You know well, damn right. well. Uh, over under of nostalgic pieces of memorabilia that will be widely recognizable by fans that get destroyed in this match. I'm sending it at two and a half. Of items that get destroyed. Yeah, that are, well, I mean, you know, and not necessarily completely shattered, but that are used as, as weapons and at least take some kind of dent or bump or something. Well, I don't understand gambling talk, but I will go higher than two and a half. Yeah, that's all it is. So, yeah, I'll take the higher. Okay, the over. The over. It's, I'm more trying exci- to be- it's always more exciting to bet the over. Right. Betting the under is no fun at all. All right, your participants on the women's side, you have Nia Jax, Asuka... Shayna Baszler, Lacey Evans, Carmella, and Dana Brooke. Repeat that again. Jesus Christ. Nia Jax, Asuka, Shayna Baszler, Lacey Evans, Carmella, Dana Brooke. 
There are only two people who can win this match. Let's see if we were on the same page. It's Oscar and Shayna Baszler. And a distant third is Lacey Evans. It's like we share the same mind. Literally, that those exactly were the the what the situation I was thinking. If Lacey was still a heel, perfect. If Lacey didn't get the the didn't get that end of the match with Bailey shot, then I would have more belief that maybe she could get it. But like, she's not. She doesn't seem like she's on the rise right now. It seemed like she was, and then she came off, and then she kind of got that push there, and she lost again. So like, I just don't see it. She doesn't have the momentum I to, to no, go through I, right I now. Completely agree. So yeah, I I if I have to pick between them, I think I think it's Shayna. I think Shayna's the obvious, which makes me think Asuka gets it. I think Asuka can has been doing her thing without it and can continue doing that thing without it. I agree with like, that too. Like she's just been coming out and yelling anyway. Like, what does the briefcase give you a reason to do? Come out and get on the mic. Asuka's been doing it anyway. Right. So, so what's the point? Shayna needs a reason to come out and run her mouth and be brash and arrogant right. because she's not really getting that chance right now, and nobody right. would care if she did. And then they need to put the belt on her. Like I said, they need to do it at WrestleMania. And then just fucking have her run over people for like three months straight. Do you think either of these Money in the Bank contracts last more than three months? Because if I'm them and I'm so desperate right now for things to do, I'm not holding these very long. I'm using them to try to garner some kind of interest. See, they're notorious for, for staggering these things out. So, like, if you have one that wins it in May and then they hold it to, like, the next February, let's say that's the men's. Then, then the other one's going to be halfway. Then that, well, then that year, two months later when they had the Money in the Bank match again, then they cash it in that night or, like, the next night. They get rid of it, so then it's gone for a year. Right. They get it out of the way. And I feel like that's what happened with the last one. I, I don't even remember what happened with last year's. Do you? Did Bailey have it? Bailey had, yes, Bailey had last year's. Bailey had the women's in. and I don't know. Had to, AJ? No. That wasn't Shinsuke's one, was it? No. I think he might have been the year before. No, I, I, I don't even remember. This is how fucked up wrestling is. There's just too much of well, it. Well, you said it earlier. I need, I need one hour of superstars on Saturday morning. No, nobody and needs that. that's it. No, 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 no. no. Oh, I, oh, I just oh. need that one hour, and that's it. <laughs> Build me up to a pay-per-view in three months. And okay, I was right about Bailey, and then... And then she cashed in that night, which I remember... And then the other one was won by Brock. Fuck, I forgot. I thought that was two years ago, too. How could I forget that? And he had the fucking beatbox. Yeah, that was funny. Oh, my God. The Brock parties. Holy fuck. How quickly we forget. See, that's the problem. There's just so much shit that you forget. God, I can't believe the Brock party was only last year. The Brock. Time flies. I wish it lasted longer. Same. Fuck. I hear that a lot. What's what's with this men's one so we can get out of here? I feel bad for people keeping these people this long. The men's money in the bank ladder matches recently added AJ Styles versus Alistair Black versus Rey Mysterio versus Daniel Bryan versus Otis versus King Corbin. 
there are also only two people that can win this. It is AJ Styles and Aleister Black. I'd say personally, Aleister Black or Corbin. You don't think AJ can, can win it? AJ doesn't need to win it at yeah, this Yeah, but point. They, they just rushed him back for the sake of all this stuff. <sighs> yeah, he got buried, but who cares? Right. So all the more. They've already <sighs> just said fuck it with him. Yeah, I don't I don't think you just bring See, if you're gonna bring him back and do all that bullshit, then you kinda gotta give him something. I think they just they brought him back because they need a name, but Yeah, but the name yeah. needs you get you need you still need a reason to watch the name. AJ Styles isn't enough on his own. See He helps, but they put enough stock in Aleister Black so far on this run that I could see him. Yeah, he's been on quite the push, so this makes a lot of sense for him. I'm the like problem, I'm just skeptical that I don't believe they believe in him like I do. Here's my thing with Corbin. Corbin has been the king of just loading gimmicks onto, and everyone he takes, and he does a great job with it. Yes, which is why he doesn't need another one. Yeah, but he could have he could have, always have the the briefcase in his back pocket, which. It would work. I just uh, if you're like saying that, AJ doesn't need it, then Corbin doesn't. But need like it. I said, based off of last year, you have two money in the bank wins. Two, Bailey cashes in that night. Brock cashes in uh, either at SummerSlam or Night of Champions. I feel like it was. I was gonna say SummerSlam. Maybe you're right it usually that. happened in July or June. So this is earlier than normal. Usually this month was Extreme Rules or some other convoluted bullshit. So Brock Super Showdown on Seth. Oh, Extreme Rules. Oh, Extreme Rules was July. So this was in June. Happened in July in Philly. That was the Philly paper that we didn't go to. We were supposed to go to Jimmy Eat World. All sorts of. Well, bullshit. I did go to Jimmy. Eat World. I fucking didn't go to Jimmy Eat World. So, god damn it, table. Fuck the table. Whole thing sucked. So. Point being here is that they got rid of those briefcases within both of them within a month last year. So this year I could see them having it on someone for a while. Having it on the baby face is just like, eh, having it on someone like Corbin makes more sense to me, especially if you're going to drag it out. I could see him having it for a while, which is the only reason that there Corbin is my pick. There it is. I've talked myself into it. Okay. That's it, man. So Sunday, you'll get a very short, I'm going to try and keep it to under a half hour, recap of Money in the Bank with Joe from the Super Smart Brothers podcast. Uh, He's going to join me. Also, Monday morning in your feed will be a brand new podcast, uh, Process Potables, as well. Speaking of episode seven, episode eight of The Last Dance with this Michael Jordan documentary. And uh, thank you for joining me, Dan, this week. We had a good time. We drank a lot of beer skis, and we went super long, so sorry for that, but I hope you enjoyed the banter. I mean, you know, if we're going to sit around on Friday night and drink, why not Why not record a podcast? Fair enough. And why not defend my table? Well, until uh, until Sunday, I'll talk to you Sunday night. Everybody stay safe and stay over. <laughs>